Um, I'd like to do a song now. I've been in LA recording. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I'd like to do a song, which is one of the new songs I've done. So you haven't heard this one before. I've barely heard this one before. It's uh, or something like this.
Sam Wiles as we discover the history, the music, and the man behind it all, Paul McCartney. To get in contact with the show, email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. Hi, 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 and hello, goodbye. Welcome to another episode of Paul or Nothing, the place to get all of your Paul all of the time. And remember, this is wide screen podcasting. This is wide screen podcasting. I am, of course, your host, Sam Wiles. Thank you all for tuning in. I hope, as always, you are well, safe, and sound. We are finally here, everyone. Yes, we are on the fourth and final instalment of our extensive, exhaustive, and hopefully mildly entertaining examination of Paul McCartney's 2001 studio album, Driving Rain. Now, we've never really done one of these before. This is the first part four of an episode we've ever done. So, part one, we did all of the non-musical stuff McCartney did around this time. Part two, we did all of the musical stuff Paul was doing around this time. Part three was my discussion with the big dog himself, Ken Michaels. And today, we're doing something rather similar. Hopefully it's not redundant. Hopefully the difference in guest and style and conversational tone will be enough to justify this episode's existence. But this is going to be our first episode where we've done a repeat discussion on an album. Yes, there is so much to say about Driving Rain that it simply cannot be said with one person. And I think this is the format I'm going to be doing moving forward. Because why not? Why not have, you know the mainstay, Ken, as my through line, as my true barometer, and then want to have someone else to come in and maybe have a slightly more uh, acerbic, light-hearted, potentially uh, <laughs> less respectful conversation. And that's what we are doing here today, folks, because I've brought someone on who I know is absolutely hilarious, absolutely charming, and divinely entertaining. He is one of the co-hosts of the truly outstanding podcast called the Untitled Beatles Podcast. If you haven't heard it already, please go and check it out. They've done all sorts of shout outs for Paul or Nothing in recent months. It's one of my favourite podcasts in general to listen to, not just Beatles stuff. I have been cutting back on listening to a lot of my peers and competitors, but the Untitled Beatles Podcast has always and always will be a mainstay of my listening habits they are everything I aspire to be, and, you know, I think that they've picked up on that. I think we're quite similar, especially in terms of style, even if they don't do, you know, three-and-a-half-hour episodes like I do. But, yeah, we actually talk about that later in the episode. Who is this person? Well, it's not the other guy. I've got TJ Shanov here on the show here today. And, look, folks, I am so excited to have him on. Let's cut the jibber-jabber, and move right on to the housekeeping. Starting off, what do we have in terms of news for today? Well, first of all, the Journal of Beatles Studies Autumn 2022 has just been released. I'm guessing that they did, this is a quarterly thing, but the Journal of Beatles Studies is a really cool public access, easily accessible, I'll post the links down below, uh, journal published in association with the University of Liverpool, And part of the university's MA, I think I believe that's Masters, in the Beatles, Music Industry and Heritage. So this is all very intellectual, this is all very ardent and well-researched. And the purpose of it 
is to provide a voice to new and emerging research locating Beetle in new context groups and communities from within and beyond academic institutions. Yes, I know that all sounds very serious, but the most important part I want you all to take away today is that it contains contributions from two previous guests on the show, those being the wonderful Dr. Alison Bumstead and the fantastic Dr. Christine Feldman Barrett. Go and check out those episodes, of course, if you haven't already. They are both incredibly smart women, and I cannot wait to dive into their writings. Then, in more pop culture news... Taylor Swift has taken over the top 10. Yes, she's basically beaten all of the Beatles records now by currently owning all top 10 positions on the US Billboard chart. This is an achievement that's never been accomplished before, and yeah, everything else kind of pales in comparison. Well, how did she do this? Sadly, she's not like a Macca. Uh, she, she can shift vinyl, she can shift CDs, but that's not her baseline. Uh, I do know a few people who bought uh, some, some of it on vinyl, but Macca, despite the fact that he can shift more vinyl than anyone, will never be able to match the sheer download and streaming power that Swift is able to muster. You know, she's the second most streamed artist on Spotify. I need to check out who the first one is, actually. But yeah, folks, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to say that Taylor Swift is not talented. She obviously is. Her and Paul are quite close, which is really adorable. But all I'm going to say is, don't tell me that if the Beatles weren't able to access streaming platforms in the 60s, that they wouldn't have also achieved this. You know, folks, it's not like Taylor Swift has released 10 singles. I mean, I know that like some artists like Beyonce will release a lot of singles from their albums, but what this is, folks, is that Everyone in America who's a Taylor Swift fan and everyone worldwide has basically just streamed all of her songs so much that whether they're singles or not, they have gone up to the top of the US Billboard chart. She's not moving singles, she's not moving product. This is purely just the proliferation of the internet, pushing forth one of the internet's brightest stars to the forefront, you know? I mean, I think we all love Taylor Swift here, but let's not pretend that... This is anything that she could have done had the internet not been around. You know, she probably would have been number one and had a number one single, but having the top ten, that's just crazy. Thankfully, here in the UK, though, that is an impossibility, as in the UK charts, you may only have three songs on the charts at any one time. So, yeah, I just thought that'd be interesting to discuss. Then... In business news, McCartney has increased his fortune with new business ventures. Uh, He's already worth over £900 million, but Sir Paul is clearly not resting on his laurels. And he has raked in an impressive £1.5 in profit in the last 12 months from new businesses, which has seen him investing his hard-earned dosh in other companies. He's since started a company called MPL Ventures during the pandemic, a subsidiary of MPL, of course. According to Bloomberg.com, MPL Ventures LLC operates as a venture capital firm. The company invests in early-stage real estate, offices, discovery labs, and construction companies. MPL Ventures focuses on legacy corporate, government healthcare, and pharmaceutical sectors in the United States. Yeah, very McCartney-esque. Paul has also backed a company making a plant-based chicken alternative, as well as a music company which was behind ABBA's latest comeback album, you know, the one that went to number one worldwide. A source describes this recent story as thus. 
Paul is a man of many talents, and his new business is bringing in the big bucks. He uses the company to invest cash in growing businesses, and it's working a treat. So far, he's used cash to help fund Tyndall, which makes fake chicken in the US and hopes to bring the product to the UK. Paul's also invested in a British-based music tech startup called Ordoom. His choices might be a little less traditional than the stock market, but it's paying dividends. His accounts this week showed he has 1.5 million in the business now, and it's all thanks to those clever investments. Paul is always looking for the next big thing, and he's off to a strong start. Now, this is all cool. I always like to see Paul succeeding. You know, as he gets old, he seems to be succeeding more and more and more, you know, making his 70s and 80s selves very jealous, I am sure. But the only thing I really want to pass from this is, if anyone knows the company and the relationship and the goings-on behind Paul and the new ABBA album and exactly how he's involved, please stop what you're doing right now and either send me an email or hit me up on our Twitter, details following. And finally, McCartney has recently urged his legions of followers to be, quote, careful about what we eat in order to help curb climate change. Of course, we all know Paul as a massive veggie head. He's behind the No Meat Mondays initiative. Basically, he went on Twitter and plugged the award-winning documentary Eating Our Way to Extinction. Narrated by Kate Winslet, the film sheds light on how animal agriculture and factory farming is the most destructive industry in the world, making audiences, quote, question their everyday choices. Paul's tweet read as thus. Hi there, this is Paul McCartney. I've recently seen a film called Eating Our Way to Extinction. Anyway, listen, give it a look because it explains what we eat is so important. If we are careful about what we eat, it's probably the best thing for solving the ecological crisis that we are now in. Excellent stuff there, Paul. I'll be sure to be checking out this film. Maybe it'll be something worth talking about on the podcast. Hey, who knows? I might even have a one-on-one discussion with Kate Winslet. Sky's the limit. Anyway, news is now over. I'm going to move on to the emails. To get in contact with the show, please email us at paulmccartneypod at gmail.com. If you want to say anything about the show or about porn, no matter how tangential or irrelevant, I want to hear it. Of course, I love getting a a discussion about the albums we discuss on each episode. You know, if there's anything in the show's history you want want to bring up, any questions, anything you want want to clarify, or even just state your own opinions, hit me up at paulmechanicpod at gmail.com. And we have two emails today. And our first one is from Matthew K. He says, Hi, Sam. I wanted to write in to tell you I recently discovered your podcast via the Untitled Beatles podcast. See, I told you they were plugging this show on theirs. Uh, I may have even kept this email specifically for this episode. They mentioned your show a few months ago. I thought, ah, I must check it out, but never did. Recently, it was mentioned that TJ would be a guest on an upcoming episode, and I thought, right, best get on it. Starting with the, at the time, most recent episode, Driving Rain Part 1, I was not expecting the depth and research that you bring to your episodes. I love that you go into the history of what was going on in Paul's personal life and all the side projects he was involved in leading to the creation of the album itself. You see, Driving Rain has never been one of my favourite Paul releases. As far back as I can remember, I was always a Beatles fan, but in 1997 it was a pivotal year for me in many ways. Flaming Pie was the first non-Christian album I bought with my own money. The record blew my mind and certainly opened the door to becoming a massive Beatles fan and I eventually started to slowly dive into the individual solo careers. Flaming Pie was such an important record to me that when Driving Rain came out, it was a bit of a letdown. I did play my CD copy of it a lot when it first came out, but it was quickly put back on the shelf where it has remained ever since. 
Jumping ahead to the recent history, your enthusiasm for the record convinced me to give it a fresh listen, 15 or so years after I last played it. I'm not quite sure where it stands in my personal Paul's solo album rankings, but I certainly appreciate it a lot more, and will pay a lot more attention to it. I'm highly anticipating the next episodes in this series, especially the deep dive with TJ, which I trust is going to be a lot of fun. I do a lot of driving for my job, which allows for plenty of time to listen back to episodes. I'm focusing on episodes covering his 80s output, which is a decade of his career I know very little about. In any event, thank you for doing what you do. I will keep listening as long as you keep releasing episodes. Matthew K. Oh, thank you so much for that, Matthew. Thank you so much. That is a wonderful email there. And I'm glad to be currently speaking directly to a fellow Untitled Beatles podcast fan. How fucking awesome is that show, dude? I mean, I can't play piano every time I want to make a joke. Wish I could. But yeah, I'm so glad to hear that basically <laughs> the the, uh, the mission statement of this podcast is being fulfilled. The idea of Paul or Nothing was always to go back and challenge McCartney preconceptions and, you know, trends and all the baggage that has come before. And as you may know from the last three episodes, I'm a huge Driving Rain fan. I think it really is a strong record and its place at the bottom of the pile is woefully undeserved. And so I'm, I'm just so glad that I've been able at least to change the opinion of one person Thank you so much for writing in, Matthew. We also have another email today, this is our last one, and this is from Emma, who says, Hi Sam, hope this finds you well. I'm really enjoying your podcast, and I'm currently halfway through the second episode on Driving Rain. I think your approach to the albums via the historical and musical context is fascinating, and I'm learning a lot. Thank you. One of your previous correspondents mentioned Jan Wenner and Rolling Stone, or Jan Wenner, and it made me wonder if you've come across the intriguing tale of the Palm Sunday Polaroid. If not, it's a great story, which I don't want to spoil. I will only say that it sheds new light on the conundrum that was the Lennon-McCartney relationship in the 70s. A fuller version can be found in Joe Hagen's book, Sticky Fingers, The Life and Times of Jan Wenner and Rolling Stone. Hagen himself was interviewed by Diana Erickson on the One Sweet Dream podcast about his experience of meeting and being hugged by Paul McCartney during his research for the book. There's a YouTube clip of Paul playing the Mellotron, which is from that very meeting. All very interesting. Thanks again, Sam, for the great content. Peace and love and strawberries, Emma. Love the fireman reference at the end there. That really did tickle my goose indeed. I also think it's really funny that in two emails, we've both had plugs for other podcasts. Shout out to Diana and the One Sweet Dream podcast. Yeah. I actually kind of wish you just told me the story though <laughs> but, uh, look, Emma uh, call you Emma if you haven't been listening to this show for that long uh, and you might not have heard my episodes or even bonus episodes with Joe Wisby of the Beatles book podcast you may not be aware that I'm a terrible reader and I can only read stuff in relation to episodes that I am doing so unless I was going to do an episode about Sticky Fingers The Life and Times of Jan Winner and Rolling Stone magazine I'm probably not going to read it. So thank you so much for intriguing me. It's nice to have a mystery in one of these emails, to have a little bit of uncertainty. That's always fresh indeed. But not to sound too lazy, but I'm probably not going to read it. So could you just send me another email and we'll read it out next time. Thank you very much, Emma. Lots of love. And 
there we are, folks. That is the emails again. Drop me an email at paulmccartypod at gmail.com if you want to have your thoughts read out on the show. Moving on to the plugs. Follow us on Twitter, which is at McCartneyPod for daily updates. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by typing in either Paul or Nothing or Paul McCartney Podcast. Of course, YouTube is the place where you can get brand new episodes and all the old episodes of Macca in Your Attic, our side series where me and a guest discuss McCartney memorabilia and go through their own collections, their own attics. I'm sure you've heard me talk about it before. For bonus Paul McCartney, Paul or Nothing written content, check out the blog, which is paulmccartneypod.wordpress.com. If you want to help out the show right away, please leave us a review. It always helps us out massively, whether it's stars, thumbs up, likes, a comment, sharing it with your friends. That is a big one. If you could share us on the Odd Beatles Facebook page, like any episode at all, that would be absolutely fantastic. Uh, The pages themselves don't like me promoting the show shamelessly in that way. So if any of you could go out there and promote the show for me, I'll try and think of some way to repay you, (laughs) of course. And finally, if you want to help out the show directly, if you want to help see the show grow, allow me to get new equipment, new product to review, such as my wonderful revolver box set that I'm looking at right now that was literally paid for by you people out there, then please consider joining our Patreon family. It's not just a gimme. You do get a bunch of benefits. You get two days early access to all episodes of Paul Nothing. You get one week early access to episodes of Macca in your attic. You get instant access to the video feed. So if I do anything on Zoom, I will immediately put it straight on the Patreon unedited. So you get unedited content and you get to see my lovely mug. You also get access to lost and bonus episodes of Paul or Nothing, as well as all the scripts that I do for the show. Oh, and there's also the Patreon vlog series. Yes, it used to be weekly, but it's becoming increasingly harder to do now that I'm a manager at my pub. But at least every once in a while, I put up a brand new bonus exclusive episode of Paul or Nothing straight up to the Patreon. The last one we did was on Lost McCartney tours that never happened. I really enjoyed doing that one. Next time, which I will be putting out this week, will be me going through every single Beatle book that I own. Emma, you'll be uh, wanting to check out that one as it will probably reveal how little of these books I've actually read. (laughs) Fun times ahead, I'm sure, slash embarrassing times. But yeah, folks, that is everything. I wanted this one to be a short, quick one, but I'm looking at the clock already and we're approaching 20 minutes very, very quickly. So let's just jump right into my conversation with TJ Shanoff of the Untitled Beatles podcast. I'm not going to be putting the songs in this one to break it up. Uh, I I did that in the last one with Ken. So this is just going to be an unbroken conversation where we talk about driving rain. One, two, three, four, five. Let's go for a drive. And now, everyone, we are live here at the Howard Stern Studios here in New York City. It is time for us to finally have someone on this show proper. Uh, I had a great turn with him on Macca in Your Attic. I've been admiring he and his co-host work for years now, and I'm not exaggerating when I say that. They are some of the best in the biz right now. Of course, podcasting. You will have heard me prattle on about their utterly delightful show, the Untitled Beatles podcast, for years now. And I'm also happy to announce that I'm joined today by the piano man himself. You know him, you love him. He has to collect all the records. It's TJ Shanoff. And now, thank you to play Paul McCartney's best song. Here's Piano Man. 
You know, John claimed he wrote half of it, but I think Paul wrote the whole thing. <laughs> just me. Sam, it's great to see you. Uh, uh, we love Paul or nothing as well. So this is a mutual admiration fest. On behalf of Tony Mendoza <laughs> and Casey, uh, we, we love you guys. No, let me just say thank you for the constant shout outs on your show. Um, you know, in this biz, you, you, you quickly get used to the, the shout outs you're expecting, you know, like reciprocal ones. I've been on his show. She's been on my show. So, you, you, you know, you're going to get a shout out. But then randomly on one of your shows, just in the little intro bit, uh, quite recently, actually, you were just like, oh, yeah, go and check out Paul. And I think and I was literally on the bus going like, I was like, yeah. People nice. look, looking at me thinking I was having some sort of mental breakdown. But, yeah, I, I just want to say thank you for that because that's something you never get used to. Though um, you also, back in July, did a 100th episode spectacular where you answered basically all of the trivia that I was planning on asking you right now. So oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad we could ruin your idea. <laughs> Folks, go check out that episode to learn who this guy is. Of course, uh, the Untitled Beatles podcast is, you know, it's it's my spirit animal podcast, I'd like to say. Uh, maybe there are perhaps more learned, more serious ones, but if there are podcasts that are me, it's definitely the Untitled Beatles podcast. And uh, Thank you for saying that, Sam. Yeah. You know, like I've, I think I've told you before, but we did Mac on your attic when you were very generous with your praise. This all started because Tony and I, you know, worked in comedy in Chicago for 10 and 15 years, and we always talked Beatles. And when the pandemic mm. hit, we both started losing our minds for different <laughs> reasons and thought, let's just kind of record our thoughts. Cause you know, we're not experts. We're not Mark Lewis. And I mean, Tony and I have both read the, uh, the books. I've been collecting the stuff since I was five mm -hmm. years old. So I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty well versed, but there are many, 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 many people with immense greater Beatle knowledge than who can tell you where they were mm -hmm. on, you know, September 17th of 1965. That's not our wheelhouse. <laughs> But we love the Beatles and we like to, we love comedy and we got a negative iTunes review. You called me the piano man. Somebody wrote, <laughs> uh, uh, too much piano, so annoying. And first of all, I only play piano like seconds per episode, but it's, th that kind of stuff doesn't bother me. And we love promoting your podcast and other great Beatles podcasts because this isn't a competition. We all love the Beatles. We all want to talk Beatles, hear different perspectives. So we're, you know, we're thrilled to promote other podcasts that we like, and there's so many great Beatles podcasts out there. We're honored to be one of them, and it's great to be with you today. You know what kind of people say it's not a competition? Losers, that's who. I'm winning. Oh, I'm going to dominate this field. Uh, you're all going down. Uh, <laughs> this is why I'm a Democrat. I just want everyone to like each other and get along. And I don't. I, I want a participation trophy. I'm definitely planning on swatting you during one of your uh, Twitch and shout streams. Uh, you know, <laughs> swatting. It's great. Why are the yeah. police here? Oh, it's just Sting <laughs> and Stuart Copeland. <laughs> The best kind of no, there's that joke in Friends, isn't there? It's like because it, um, Phoebe's stalking Sting, and uh, uh, I think Sting's wife goes, "If you don't leave now, I'll call the police." A reunion? Yeah. Uh, oh, that's funny. Yeah, that's right. It, that is on Friends. One of my favorite memes from the last couple of years is it says defund the police, and it's a picture of Sting looking like an <laughs> asshole. It just makes me laugh so much. Uh, uh, police brutality. That should be the title of their comeback album. That'd be it. <laughs> That's yeah. Well, they hated each other. I mean, I, I love the police and they did reunite about 10 okay. years ago and did a tour. They played, they played Ridley field and the live album they released is so like uninspired, <laughs> like un, 
Unlike Sir yeah. Paul, who I, I've seen 14 times, never seen him once phoned it in, this police reunion show, and I love mm -hmm. the police, it felt phoned in. It felt like just a money grab. It can't be any more phoned in than uh, talking heads during the, their induction at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. That, for me... Oh, yeah. When you can just see Tina Weymouth basically crying on stage because she just doesn't, doesn't yeah. want to do it. Oh, my gosh. Another great band. Yeah. So, first of all, do you think you and your co-host will ever do a podcast the length of a single episode of Paul or Nothing? Do, 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 you know, can you can you hit the three-hour mark? I've told you this before, but you inspire us to go longer. And our producer, Casey Baker, who's, you know, he's worked at uh, one of the biggest radio stations in Chicago, WGN Radio, mm -hmm. Um, he, he, he's a, a real audio guy. He, he tries to keep us shorter and we say to him, Hey man, uh, have you heard Sam's podcast, <laughs> Paul or nothing? That's a marathon. We want to do Sam was Peter Jackson before fucking Peter Jackson. You've been doing like marathon episodes forever. And, uh, we love it. So yes, our recording sessions, if anybody ever gets their hand on the things that don't make oh. the episode, we would have been canceled a few <laughs> years ago. And I, I don't mean canceled like the old school. I mean, new school canceled, but, um, a, a lot gets edited out. Now you just let everything go, right? I mean, how much editing do you do? Back in the day, it was a laborious, it was an able laborious pro uh, process. Uh, oh, well done. And, uh, it took me a minute to get the joke. I guess my mind's a bit rusty, Anderson. <laughs> oh, your mind's all grotty. No, um, I used I, I used to do so much editing, like over editing. It was, you know, my editing style was very like flowers in the dirt. It was just too much, just too much. Uh, needed needed to flaming uh -huh. pie it up a bit. And now, and, and too much gated snare, yeah. like Tony might say, and flowers <laughs> in the dirt. Uh, but now I just take out the erms and the gaps in silence and run a few noise cancelling software programs through it just just to get rid of the in the background okay. it sounds good enough um it does yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good I sounding mean, podcast. I, I want to have a podcast on an arm that moves like you know how you see on like how youtubers do it's, it's on like that gimbal rig and you can move it yeah once i have that i'll feel yeah. like a proper broadcaster um i've noticed though that you've recently started doing split episodes you know oh you know case would come on and go looks like we've ran a little bit too long this week folks yes. join us next time yes when we you know we're doing a deep dish on x you know uh -huh. why not just release them as one thing then is that are you callously are you callously trying to build up content i know i, I know you're doing it i know you're doing it tj uh, I'll tell you two secrets. One, arguably George Harrison's best song is this. Now, Ringo claimed he wrote part yeah. of it, but he did not. Um, so uh, the secret number two, I'm going to do that Billy Joel bit all day. So be ready. Um, I. The secret is there have been a ton of two-part episodes this summer because I've been out of town for most of August. So in July, we recorded a bunch of long ones intentionally between a family vacation and a lot of my corporate work happens in August. So August is kind of when I make money to pay the bills. So we had about five weeks we couldn't record. So we did an extra, extra series of episodes in July that we could split up and fill time in August.
See, when you say corporate work, I just How's picture that? like Jerry Seinfeld doing like those awful corporate gigs, which looks, yeah, what's the deal with press to play? <laughs> you, you also have to press to stop. <laughs> I love the idea of Seinfeld doing a corporate gig for like Ford or GM and just doing bits about press yeah, to play. McCartney. Uh, I mean, how come Tough on a Tightrope wasn't on the original album? It wasn't tough. It wouldn't be a tightrope. <laughs> Uh, what's the deal with right away oh um i love that album i'm going to bring that album up in the context of a conversation we're going to have today so get ready for some press to play references. because it's a got it's got a black and white cover and it's underrated that's the connection i'm going to make but um okay i've got a different connection and i can't wait to get into this episode i'm thrilled you asked me to be on this well, one that's, that's 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 the thing just uh, talk about splitting episodes originally like i remember i did one with ken womack for Venus and Mars, that was like four and a half hours. That was like two bits stitched yeah. together, and I could have done that. I haven't heard that one, but Ken Womack's great. That's a great. Oh get. no, that was like super early as well. Because um, okay, I, I bumped into his wife on a Facebook group, and she was very kindly to uh, set it up. But um, then a while after that, it used to be a context episode, then song by song. Then I got to Flaming Pie and Driving Rain. Now it's two context parts, and then a song by song. But now I'm also doing two context ones for Driving Rain, a song by song with Ken Michaels in a couple of days. And then I thought, but hang on, just because Ken always does the album reviews with me doesn't mean he's, you know, we, we're not in a in a committed relationship like that. We're, we have quite an open relationship together. So I can talk about this album with other people. And, you know, folks, if, if you listen to the Untitled Beatles podcast, you will hear TJ bemoan Driving Rain and mention that it's the worst Paul McCartney album, the worst solo Beatles album. Um, no, 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 no. Let me, I'm going to backtrack. Four, right. I'm gonna, episode, I'm gonna, I'd say. Um, ignore whatever he's I'm about gonna, to say. Not the worst solo Beatles. Not the worst solo Beatles album. It is the worst solo Paul slash Wings album in my estimation. But no, I would still do, I, I'll put it this way. I would do Driving Rain over Dark Horse. Really? That's interesting. Yes. That's interesting. What about uh, what about Let's Save the World? Would you put that above or below Driving Rain? Oh, uh, Ringo? Uh, I think it's an EP. Doesn't count. Eh. <laughs> That's all Ringo does is release EPs on cassette. Ringo's living in England in 1970. It's like no one wants EPs, and who's listening to tapes? What is an EP? First of all, that's the that's the first thing. It just show it shows his audience. Um, I mean. When people say, you know, what is the best solo Beatles album, I I will I will always say Stop and Smell the Roses, just to, you know, Clearly. throw people off a little bit. <laughs> Can't fight it's lightning. It's the best song of the sessions. It's not on the album. It's, yeah. it's so frustrating. Crazy, yeah. Okay, are we going to release it as a, a non-album single? No. Okay, we're just going to sit on it. All right. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. So one day there's going to be a Ringo version of Cold Cuts after the Paul Cold Cuts is released with all the random Ringo stuff that was left off. Yeah, it turns out Ringo wrote Poker Face in 82. <laughs> I want to roll them like they do in Texas, please. <laughs> roll and hit my baby, baby, stay with me. I love it. <laughs> it's like a real <laughs> like country honky-tonk kind of one. Even Chip's moment was like, no, thank you. I, you know, I don't think I want that one. <laughs> oh, it'd be great if it turned out that Ringo had actually written the greatest 
top 40 hits of the last 40 years, ghost written them, never took credit for them at all, you know? Can you imagine if you look close at your Backstreet Boys CD, I Want It That Way is written by Starkey. Yeah. All right. Never knew. Not Zach either. There's that great bit on The Simpsons where the Principal Skinner calls and goes, I need to speak to a student privately. Let's say Lisa S. No, that, that's too obvious. Let's say L. Simpson. It's a, uh-huh. yeah. um, Just a couple of quick ones before we get into the topic itself, because I'm, I'm going to let you defend yourself on Driving Rain in, a, in a, my, my harsh Please. accusations. Um, are you looking more forward to a revolver reissue or a London Town slash Back to the Egg archive collector's edition? Okay, that that that's unfair because Revolver's probably my number three favorite Beatles album. And the uh, the notion, because there aren't a ton of extra, I mean, okay, I'm looking forward to the remix. We heard a couple songs remixed from the Yellow Submarine's uh, song mm-hmm. track, which is super underrated and kind of began the Beatles remixing thing in earnest in, what, 99? And it was um, around the time um, of Driving Rain as well. It was just before it came out as well. Yeah. Yes, just a couple years or a year or so before Driving Rain. Um so yes, the, to hear Revolver remixed is massive. Although I can't, Rubber Soul is the one that's going to make me drool. Oh. Um, but uh, it's the outtakes. There aren't a ton. Anthology had a few. Uh, I've got this alternate Revolver uh, bootleg as part of the alternate, uh, you know, album series that came out in the in the what early two thousands. And there isn't a ton of stuff out there. I heard somewhere that they unearthed John Lennon doing a. a, a demo of yellow submarine which i mean i've I've never heard that wow so uh, yes i can't but it's a trick question because london town and back to the egg are the next two at least semi-chronologically i know they they've jumped around in the archive series of course started with band on the run um but those two records have only existed in their late 80s remasters which are okay and the 93 Paul McCartney collection remasters from the UK, mm. which are like mastered really hot without a lot of, you know, low end. So, yes, proper remasters of London Town, which is a really good album, but sleepy and back to the egg. Maybe the most underrated Paul McCartney record. The yeah, most. I can't wait for those oh. either. So, yeah, I think so. Sure. Big words there. Why Big not? Words. And I and. Yeah. No, uh, the real question is... What about oh, you? Oh, for, no, for me, no question. It's it's an, it's an archive release. I haven't got one yet. I've got uh, I've got the, the, the vinyl only of Flaming Pie. That's about it. Mm. Uh, oh, no, and I've got the, 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 the double Red Rose Speedway, but again, bought that separately as well. Now right. I'd be able, you know, I can be there on the ground floor, you know, mic in hand as I've got my scissors opening the package. Hello, welcome to Paul or Nothing. Oh my God, let's 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 look at this. Although I do unboxing, I do want to say I do get annoyed, especially by the YouTube wing of the Beatles fandom unboxing things just just to have a video out on release day. Like not to toot my own horn, I was definitely the last person to do a review of McCartney the lyrics. But it was a it was a two and a okay. half hour review. Actually, I, I you know I read the book and actually it's a thick, it's yeah, a big I'd, book. I've done the research and every everything else I saw was just people going, oh, you know, it's big. It's about twelve inches by five and a half, and it's got a black and white cover or a green cover or an orange cover. If you're a rich motherfucker, but uh-huh. that kind of thing definitely annoyed me. Uh, definitely annoyed me at the time. But um, 
Back back to uh, London Town, back to the egg. The yeah, egg? Back to, back to the egg. Uh, back to the egg squared. What What is your dream bonus middle disc? If it's going to be released as a box set, like uh, Wildlife, Red Rose Speedway, what's the little disc in the middle for you? I'd love to hear the rehearsals they were doing to go on the tour where they performed coming up and ultimately where Paul got busted in Japan. I've seen on YouTube a rehearsal of them running through with a little luck from London town. One of my favorite isn't McCartney that songs. After, isn't that for the Jap- the Japanese tour at Puggins Hall or something like that? Yeah. Yes. But that would be promoting back to the yeah, egg yeah, yeah. because a lot of back to the egg of course was done when they did the, um, uh, what's the bootleg where they later did uh Campuchia. Was that from Scotland when they did oh, last um, flight, you know, last- the- Last yeah. Flight, yeah, that's got Arrow Through Me on there, um, getting closer. But the rehearsals for that tour with a lot of the stuff they didn't use, like uh, that video running through with Little Luck, really up-tempo, mm-hmm. rocking out. I've just heard a snippet. I want all of that. I want to be, a, to quote the Let It Be Naked reissue, I want to be a fly <laughs> in the wall for that rehearsal. I mean, with Little Luck, other than that rehearsal, to my knowledge, Sam never performed never. live. It's on that weird list of take it away, no more lonely nights, these these McCartney veritable classics that have never been done live, and instead we get fucking temporary secretary. I get that Wicks is talented. I don't need seven minutes of hearing the computer programming on his keyboard when he's got all these other songs he's never... That's a different episode of songs Paul has done live, and you go, why? Why? I actually just did uh, for my Patreon. Uh, people out there, if you're listening on Patreon right now, you all know what I'm talking about, but I recently did a series of Beatles songs he's never done live, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, 2010 songs he's never done live. And uh, okay, whoa, when you get to the 80s, whoa, he's played none of that shit live. Oh my god, it was just like, no. um, I do uh, green if it's been played live at a proper gig, orange if it's been played live at say a rehearsal or a TV show performance or other kind of thing, and then red for not played 70s. It's mostly green, you know, he's mostly played, you know, well, the majority of his 70s catalog at least once at some point. You get to the 80s, oh my God, it's so underrepresented. And, you know, recently someone asked Paul, would he consider doing a gig of cold cuts and deep cuts? And it would be mostly 80s stuff, I feel. It would have to be, oh, you know, definitely have to do that. Yeah, and and there's weird, like when he promoted Press to Play, he never did Press Live. Uh, He never did It's Not True live, but there's a couple of live versions of him doing Only Love Remains, one of my favorite songs from that record. The the Raw Variety performance for the the Queen. Yes, and he made the Rattle Your Jewelry joke again, which got a soft laugh, (laughs) you know, kind of aping John, because every Paul album is inspired by the Beatles since the 80s. It's like, well, we wanted to make this one just like a Beatles record. Like everything he says that, and that was the reference. But there's a solo piano version of him doing it live Mm -hmm. as well, maybe with a sax in it, but I don't know where that that came from. But Oh, yeah, Wogan is the the British TV show where he did, like, he did... Uh, jet and listen to what the man said when he was promoting all the best I think yes. I've seen yeah. those clips Yeah, no because Parkinson was where he did two fingers you have to uh, there's so, so many British talk show hosts that Paul did um, I wonder what the last talk show Paul actually did it, w- it would have been like would it be like someone really lame like Fallon or Kimmel or something like that 
Uh, yeah, or was it when he did um, the uh, Carpool Karaoke? Oh, with, no, it um, is, isn't it? Why am I it forgetting his James name? Corden. Oh, no. James Corden. I forgot his name. I'm sorry. Who's leaving? No. Because American him, Network Television him. is falling apart. Keep him, please. Oh, no. We don't, we don't want him. You know, oh, so that's a question. What do British people think now I'm understanding this of James Corden? Are you so, not a fan? There's a bit of a dichotomy. He has written one of the greatest okay. sitcoms of the modern British era, Gavin and Stacey. It is a, a modern cult classic. Everyone loves well, no, it. It's, it's not even cult. Everyone loves it. Uh, but there are also just rumors of him being a general cock. So it's, um, okay. you know, you have to. General yeah, cock. You, you have to. Yeah, I, think, I, I think he led the 4th uh, Battalion in the Civil War, actually. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> On the wrong, On the wrong side, side, motherfucker. <laughs> uh, now, in a semi-related topic, have you heard mm-hmm. any of these rumors that the archive collection is essentially going to end with the death of Linda McCartney, uh, supposedly the collection is his music and her photography combined as a package. There isn't a hard source on this one. It's just, it's just you know, a rumour. But how would you feel about never getting driving rain onwards in archive sets? Uh, that's a great question. It's a rumour I've never heard, although what's interesting is... The last couple of records, I think maybe dating back to memory almost full, he's issued them in different expanded editions with different bonus tracks. I mean, you know, a little bit like off the ground, the kind of complete collection, the Japan thing that culminated a bunch of the B-sides and stuff. Um, yeah, well, which, which one's the, the definitive new? Is it the is it the Japanese one or is it the deluxe? Re- there's, there's two and they've got different track listings that aren't... There's like four different news. Yeah. And it feels very McCartney three, actually. Uh. <laughs> yes, w- without question. Um, but uh, yeah, that would make me really sad because a top five in another album we're going to get into is par- as part of my comparison to the album <laughs> we're going to talk about today. One of my very favorite McCartney albums is um, Chaos and Creation. Mm-hmm. I think few albums are, it, even though that record isn't called McCartney 2 or McCartney 3, and I know at least one of the songs yeah. has other, yeah, 2.5. 2. And I, again, like, I know that a couple of the songs, I think Follow Me and, and I, forgive me, I don't have notes in front of me, but it's not all a solo McCartney record. But to me, that is, I don't think he's made an album as good as that, with the exception of maybe Band on the Run. I think that album is virtually flawless and produced eloquently. And uh, I would love a deluxe, stuff like Summer of 59 and a few of the other B-sides have never been officially released beyond their B-sides. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to covering Chaos. I'd definitely say it's a front-loaded album which I prefer. I always prefer to have the best stuff at the start and have things trail off. Because uh, if you don't make it to the end of the album, you've, you've probably gone back to the start and enjoyed all of that like, all over again. Like Flowers in the Dirt yeah. with Motor of Love and Oué Le Soleil. And it's like, hey, man, I love you, but can we uh, can we make this Let's an EP? Let's not besmirge Oué Le Soleil anymore. It's the best song from the Flowers in the Dirt sessions. Let's, uh... Sorry, ju- just the 12-inch <laughs> remix. I'm only mocking the eight-minute oh version. Oh, my gosh. There are so many remixes that are so bad. I don't like the pat. Shepherd Bone, or oh, there's, there's, there's like there's uh-huh. like nine of them, 
And like some of them just sound like someone's messing with the Casio keyboard, like it's like calm down here. Someone's clearly got on their first MIDI keyboard and the <laughs> <No> <laughs> and they've gone a bit like like you know when George Harrison first like discovered um a wah pedal or something like that. It's just like, oh, or uh-huh. he's always going to slide. Oh, George is doing this for a while now. <laughs> when George discovered the Moog and was uh, the Electronic Sounds yeah. album, which is the okay. I apologize, Dark Horse. Electronic Sounds is and Sentimental Journey are the two worst solo Beatles albums. <laughs> Sorry, I said it. Someone I love to. that really boring platitude that like George Harrison forgot how to play guitar during like '68 and was just writing like keyboard songs and it's like. You've heard while my guitar gently weeps, right? I know, I know. Clapton's a big part of that, but George wrote that. Right. Come on, let's let's not yeah. beat about the bush here. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh, the version of Circles on Gone Tropper is so bad. Oh my gosh. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Compared to the Isha demo. Yeah, which is so simple on the acoustic, and this has the the slide. Don't yeah. I mean, that's bad. I'm going round in circles, you might say. Oh, George, you're so clever. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let's move on to driving rain. Yeah. And I mean, look, let let let's just cut to the chase here. Have you been unabashedly? bashing on this album since its release or do you have somewhat of a complex relationship with it i have a complex relationship with it that emanated from the fact that having bought mccartney singles in real time since 1982 (laughs) and buying mccartney albums in real time or my parents buying them for me since 83 this is the first paul mccartney album and i'm including the broad street Mm -hmm. soundtrack and I'm in, and I'm including Press to Play, which came out when I was 12, and I lived in that cassette the whole summer. And then the CD had the bonus tracks, which was a whole other thing. Uh, this is the first Paul McCartney album, Sam, with which I did not make a connection, where I struggled to get through it. I struggled with the songwriting. I struggled with the musicianship. And I'm aware that two of the guys have been part of his loyal mm-hmm. touring band since 02. Um But yeah, where I struggle with this record, especially coming off Flaming mm-hmm. Pie and Run, Devil, Run, that Ascension, the uh, yes, Run, Devil, Run's a covers album, but at least one or two of the originals, there's three originals on it, are like some of Paul's best rock mm. songs. Chaos and Creation, which was the proper album that followed this a few years later, is one of my favorites. This album exists in a whole that I've never been able to connect with, I've never understood, and while there's songs on this I like, maybe a couple I love, as an album, it is the most foreign to me emotionally, other than like some of the youth stuff. And like, I don't love electric electronic arguments. <laughs> I just said it by the wrong name, but it's okay because I also clear my throat and that's fine. Um, this album I've struggled with more than just about any mainstream Paul McCartney record that's ever been released. Uh, you've been listening to an episode of Paul or Nothing, folks. Thank you for joining us. <laughs> this, this, yeah, good, yeah, night. good night. Take tip, care. Tip your waitress, please. Take my wife home, please. <laughs> I take my wife everywhere, but she finds her way home. Um, wow, that is a that is an awful lot to take in there. Yeah. Um, of course, the concept of this podcast is that I am not a McCartney uh, completionist yet. I'm still going through the the first run for the very first time. And I've only been interacting with this album for, say, two, three months, you know, quarter of a year. And okay. 
I'm inclined to agree with you that I've not made an emotional connection with the album as a whole. Like, there are albums where I don't particularly like every song on them, like, say, Pipes of Peace or Flowers in the Dirt, where I still have an emotional connection to the general piece as a whole. In the case with Driving Rain, I guess I'm quite defensive. I I really, I'll just, I'll get off the bat right now. I really like this album. I think it's really good. I think overall, you know, double thumbs up. But there is a certain dissonance or disconnect with the listener. And I do get that. And that doesn't mean I don't respond to the best of the best on this. But I am aware going into it this chat, my, my other chat with Ken, that a lot of these songs are going to be songs that I'm just going to be listening to when I listen to the album in full, not adding many solo songs from this onto my Spotify Paul playlist, the ones. Yeah, Tiny Bubble's not going on hey, a playlist. Yeah, hey, hey, don't, don't have a pop at Tiny Bubble. <laughs> Maybe the Don Ho version. For you old people listening, you know what I'm talking about. Oh. A tiny Bubble. Reference for the oldies. A tiny Bubble. No, come on. If you if if you were there and Paul started playing Tiny Bubble, you'd lose your mind because it'd be the, the most surreal thing ever. Uh, no, I'd walk <laughs> into a piano and say, hey, buddy, can you give me Wanderlust, please? Do, 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 do. Straight. Why not? I got to. <laughs> I got to break. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> no Billy Joel. Just the piano playing in there is so it just oh fucking Paul McCartney's the most underrated piano player in the history of piano rock. I just had can to you that can you do the opening there. bit to ballroom dancing? <laughs> oh, wrong key. Uh, uh, what key is it in? Uh, uh, yeah, let me. Okay, take two. <laughs> well, I used to fly when I was a kid. <laughs> it's been a long time. I might be off. But yeah, I mean, he's he just so, he's so, I mean, even something as simple, people are like, oh, this is cliched. This is cliched. <laughs> it's one of the single greatest. I mean, so yeah, Paul McCartney, uh, uh, he's, uh, he is a huge reason I play piano. Um, at any rate, uh, I forgot we we're talking about. And now back to the host of the program. Oh, let me say quickly, Tony Mendoza also loves this record. Now, Tony also, I, I don't want to speak on, for him, I don't know but why I will. I this schmuck on the show. Oh, my God. I, well, hey, because uh, Tony can't break into this. <laughs> um, but uh, no, Tony can do a million things. Great guitar player, great drummer. And Tony uh, actually really loves this record. But again, Tony didn't live through this record when it first came out. Tony was not in a huge solo McCartney phase then. I will tell you quickly, I don't want to bring the show down. Don't bring me down. Um, and don't let it bring you down. It's a second London Town reference. I feel um, like we're about to go into the wider historical context of this album. Is that? Yeah. Yeah. Is yeah. that, would you, would you rather I wait or would you rather I get into it now, Mr. Yeah, Host? Look, it, it's hard not to think about this album without thinking about the time in which it was released. As we know, this was released in the wake of the September 11th attacks, that kind of thing. It was a very different America to which the album was released in uh, compared to the one it was recorded in. 
I myself at the time was a little boy who just got back from school. There was a bouncy castle in my childminder's back garden. I didn't understand why all the adults were gathered around the television. What was going on on your end? What's your uh, interpretation of all this? Uh, I was 26 years old uh, on 9-11, uh, b- born in 74. Did I get the math wrong? Also, I do a Beatles podcast because I can't fucking subtract. <laughs> so I, my lack of math skills are why I do this. Um, but yeah, it was that, w- you know, it happened in Chicago. Uh, my mother called me. I was working at, at a comedy theater where I worked for many years called The Second City. And I was a, a staff writer for their corporate shows and their industrial shows at the time. And a, and a music director as well. And I, I usually would go into work about 9 o'clock. I'd leave about 8.30, wake up around 7.30. My mom calls at 7.15. And my mom was always like, you know, I, the thing about having Jewish parents is like they always want to they want to break the bad news with as much drama. So my mother's calling me at 7.15 in the morning. I'm like, Mom, what's going on? She's like, sweetie. I don't know how to tell you this, but a plane, you know, because we used to go to New York all the time. I've done many, I've, I've loved New York forever. And she told me a plane hit the first World uh, World Trade Center. And I kind of said to her, I said, Mom, what a horrible accident. I'm going to go to sleep for a little longer, and then I'm going to turn on the news. But I just got to get a little more shut. I love you, Mom. Bye. Phone rang with about five, six, seven minutes later, and she said, a second plane is hit. We're, we're, America's under attack. And I'm getting a chill talking about this. And I spent, obviously, I didn't go into work that day. Um my mother did, and she actually worked right near the Sears Tower, now called the Willis Tower, which is one of the five, I think, or six tallest buildings in the um, world. And they sent her home. Uh, <laughs> they sent everybody home for, for, from the... Well, one, because my mother was not a particularly good employee, so they sent her home. But also <laughs> because of the threat of, you know, it's the t- tallest yeah. building in Chicago. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm obviously not trying to make light of the day, Sam. That day has stuck with me and resonated with me in a way... Um, that I will never forget. And one little, before we move on to, to talking about more of the album, another little bit of trivia. One of maybe my second favorite artist is a guy named Ben folds mm-hmm. and Ben folds first solo album, rock in the suburbs was by coincidence released that day. Really? So that album was released on September 11th in the States. That album bombed. No joke. That was not meant to be a pun. Terrible. Can I fuck this is me being stupid, not offensive. There is a difference by the way Uh, that that album was a total disaster. And part of the reason was just the karma of being released on that day. It never could gain traction. And it's one of my favorite records. So the Paul that P a L L not P a U L that was cast over the release of this album with nine 11, but a month later, the inclusion of freedom, um, and you know, it wasn't even printed on the album cover because the printing was already done. Nine Eleven will always impact how I felt about this record. And I think I really wanted to connect with it, but you know what, Sam, after nine 11, the Paul I was listening to was obviously the whole Beatles catalog, but Ram and flaming pie and everything else. So Paul did comfort me after nine 11, but it wasn't with lonely road. Well, it was also a, a, a turning point, I guess, when Paul's affections truly turned towards the States. He was a real statesman of the United States at that point. He became a real present figure. You know, you'd always see him at, like, baseball games and stuff like that, being being put on the big jumbotron and stuff like that and yeah. be seen around town, very much in the same way that, like, John would have been in, like, the 70s. And, yeah, it it did kind of herald the era of uh, Americana Paul once again after it kind of died out after like 76. 
Um, it is it is a, a coincidental, interestingly coincidental fact that I guess that, you know, the most dour McCartney album was released just after 9-11, but it was a complete separate recording process and... It's recorded in what, like er, the early part of the year. A lot of the songs were yeah, February. Recorded in two weeks yeah. in LA. Yeah, uh, it, I, I think it's just freedom and like one other one, like magic maybe that was recorded after. But um, of course, this is an album that is not just affected by uh, terrorist attacks from extremist religious groups. There's also the death of Lyndon McCartney and the introduction of Heather Mills as well. There's so much for a Beatle fan to be processing at this time. If if I may, yeah. Sam, quickly, also George Harrison dying while this is going on, and reports of George Harrison being released from the hospital. Not dead yet, and, but, but his, we know he's dying. No, no, no. He, he, he died in November of that year, um, shortly after we'd invaded we. I, I, I was not in favor of the war. Shortly after the U.S. had invaded Afghanistan. Uh, in fact, I have a copy of the Chicago Tribune that says death of a beetle and the war continue. I mean, just insane. But George was dying at the time. Yeah. George was in his last few months on uh, this earth. He says here, uh, Trotter, 12th of November, 2001. George Harrison died 29th of November, 2001. Oh, yeah. oh I'm just I'm just reminded of that of that Ringo interview from living in the material world now. Can I come with you? Oh, Breaks, yeah. breaks your heart, doesn't it? And Ringo starts crying. I, I, you gave me a chill just saying that. I also, I don't want to leave alone. I'll say this very quickly, Sam. You mentioned Americana Paul. Paul organized the concert for New York, of course, as documented on that uh, DVD. And I want to get to that show later because that show pissed me off. Paul's oh, performance. I've already mentioned you in part one of this where I talk about the concert for, for New York. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, uh, so, we'll so, get to it. We'll get to I, it. <laughs> do, I mean, oh, my God. And then he, he makes it worse by doing two songs from the or three from the new album, Freedom, I get, but. What fucking fireman who's just witnessed 30 of his friends die wants to hear, you know, your uh, your loving flame? I mean, I, I I could not. I love Paul. I defend him. He is my we named our son after Georgia. Paul's my favorite Beatle. I've seen him a ton. I have everything. I love him. But holy shit, Sam, this the Heather Mills era of Paul McCartney drives the dyed hair kibitzing with Larry King every two weeks. I got no patience for early 2000s, Paul. No, it is a forgotten era of his history as well. You don't see pictures in documentaries or clip shows uh, of this era. It's not featured on his website whatsoever. It's never mentioned in interviews or anything. Uh, you know, Q Magazine or Mojo's never going to go. So, yeah, can, can we just talk about riding into Jaipur for a moment? They'll be like, so anyway, um, Let It Be came to me in a dream. Uh, what was that yesterday? I think I think my mum came to me in a dream and said a hard day's night. And uh, and uh, George said, give peace a chance when when John's mom got knocked over by the Maharishi. <laughs> okay, so Paul. That, that could be a funny sketch on SNL, actually. See now, Paul, That's mixing funny. All, the, all the iconic stories together. Uh, speaking of which, this is a year after Wingspan, which was a big hit. But Wingspan had the playout version of No More Lonely Nights on it. Like, Paul, do you have no, any look, idea what you're talking about? This is the about? same man who played... 
it was either too many people or three legs. I went, this is for the Wings fans. It was too many people. This is for the Wings fans. Like, what? No, this is for Wings spam. Um, <laughs> this is for the exactly. My favorite song on, on Wingspan is Take It Away. All right, Paul. And by the way, that shouldn't have been on the history disc. That was a hit. Yeah. I didn't understand Wingspan. Yeah. Oh, this is the, I'm getting so much deja vu. I've literally been listening to your podcast like like the last 20 episodes in quick succession. Am I, am I repeating everything? Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. I'm, I tend to repeat all the bits. No, uh, oh, I'm sure I'll hear about you being on a cruise at some point in the next few moments. I'm sure you'll have some way to bring well, it. <laughs> Would it help if I play the best Paul McCartney song? <laughs> Friday night, I crashed your party. That's another song I play frequently on the Untitled Beatles podcast. When Tony Mendoza, produced by Casey Baker, available where podcasts are sold. Sam. Oh, my God. Um, do you remember uh, what it was like for other fans at this time? Did you have friends that had strong opinions on this album? Was the internet a thing at this time with people posting their opinions online or is this mostly, you know, looking at magazines and talking amongst people? It wasn't opinions at the time. It was emails like AOL emails <laughs> and like getting, getting the New York times in Chicago on the internet with updates. I mean, they didn't happen. It's nowhere near what it was now, but yeah, no one, the internet was, a thing and that's where people would start to kind of that's what helped newspapers go away is everyone was reading the newspapers they would pay for online for free so that's kind of what what really did it in for papers but yeah i was mostly um i had no friends who loved solo paul mccartney <laughs> most of my improv friends were like in their early 20s to their early 30s they did not you, care I feel you. I feel you. yeah i mean they, they, they didn't care but what i did is homework for the show i went back because Great a, a magazine of the States since the 70s. I've been subscribing to since 84 called Beetle Fan Magazine. And I went back and read the contemporary reviews of Driving Rain. And in Beetle Fan, which in fairness to Beetle Fan, sometimes had an anti-Paul slant. <laughs> I, I love, I respect Bill and Leslie King. I respect every other staff. I'm reading it since I was 10 years old. But there tends to be like, there was a thing for a while where it's, somebody wrote like an editorial in this magazine about, you know, solo Ringo is better than solo <laughs> Paul. And I'm like, everybody calm the fuck down. It did, did Mark Hudson write this piece? Like, everybody calm down. But the, the reviews in Beatle Fan were pretty unfavorable at wow. the time, uh, which which I remember. Now, but at the same time, you look online, like Rolling Stone gave it a good review. All Music Guide gave it. There's some publications liked it. I think the litmus test is... How much do you go to this? What Tony and I talk about all the time on our show. How much do you go to this album? Are you listening to Wildlife? Or are you listening to Driving Rain? Are you listening to McCartney? Or listening to it's like where does it rank in terms of the repeat listenability? Mm -hmm. And this is, I mean, I, I'm I don't love new. I don't love Wings at the Speed of Sound. I love them both, or I listen both more than mm -hmm. I listen to this. I've been listening to this quite frequently. I mean, uh, in doing this show and in the kind of uh, information bomb that I have to give myself where I, you know, just listen to this album non-stop for months at a time. I've been choosing to listen to quite a few of these songs quite regularly. Uh, I, I, I think... Are you ill? Uh, there are so many of these songs <laughs> that are just really fun to listen to whilst you're counting the till at 11.30 at night. 
Um, you know, okay. uh, your way is a very good one when you count in twenties. I found. Um, yeah, that's what it's a song I love on this one. No, uh, you know what? We are going to get to the song soon. Let's. I'll, yes, I'm let's do it. Through these questions, uh, do, was there much driving rain merch at the time? Was it just CD and vinyl? Was there a cassette with a hats, shirts? Do you remember we were preparing on TV and promoting it? I believe there was a cassette. Capital in the States reissued a few of the songs on, or issued them on 45. I think they issued Lonely Road, Your Loving yeah. Flame, and Freedom. Um, of course, there was a CD. The vinyl was you only pressed in the UK. And it's, 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 oh. well, I, I bought it in real time. It, oh. This was not an expensive import. I think I got this at Beetlefest 02 oh. <laughs> is Driving Rain on Vinyl. And I mean, it's, 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 you look on Discogs, it's not it's cheap. It's not cheap. It's um, not. It's like off the ground. Yeah. For you want to be thieves, I don't usually keep this at home. This is offsite, you motherfuckers. I brought it out for this episode. I, I mean, I, I don't listen to it. This maybe will pay, it'll help my son go to college one day. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like it's, I listened to it a couple times when it came out, but I think there's a cassette pressing. But here's the thing, Sam, you've yeah. done your homework. Nobody bought this record. I believe it is McCartney's least charting album in the States, or at least it was up until mm -hmm. 2001. This thing, I think, only sold in America, the Beatles' biggest market, 60,000 copies or something insane at its time of release. I mean, again, some of that 9-11 hangover, but some of it is... No radio stations were playing Lonely Road or Your Loving Flame. <laughs> Maybe you knew Freedom from Concert for New York, but there wasn't a My Brave, Love or Hate, My Brave Face, Love or Hate Press. These are, Love or Hate, Spies Like Us. These songs all mm -hmm. charted. These tunes did not chart, or if they did, they were like bubbling under the top 100. So nobody cared because nobody knew, and nobody knew because nobody cared. It was just the diehards back in 01. I mean, at least they didn't create the worst video ever for Lonely Road or anything like, oh, wait, oh, wait, no, that, oh, oh wait. God. Those, <laughs> That's tough because there's a lot of bad McCartney no, videos, like, my friend. His, his wife's just dead, man. Please don't have sexy, scantily clad women dancing in the that wasn't right. his scene before it's now it's double so oh my gosh it was like you just saw a robert palmer video on vh1 and was like i want to do it that. would have been a perfect video Something for like driving rain i think if it had just swapped the song it, it would have actually probably fit a lot better. Oh, well, and listen last thing that when they reissued it uh or not reissued but when the album was pressed again in early 02 they changed the cover i mean this is other than george harrison's live in japan this is one of the worst beatles covers it's the grainy photo that no you know, it's interesting watch it's interesting it's the casio watch that's so cool Yes, it's interesting, but what back when record stores were still a thing, who walks <laughs> by and sees this? So they replaced it with the cover art for his driving USA tour, where it's like blue clouds. He's in a Ferrari or something with a guitar, and there was a slip cover I over this that. in America from the second pressings. I don't have that one, but there's a look it up. There's like a big, like almost red, white, and blue red car, Paul with the guitar, blue clouds above him, because they tried to juice sales <gasps> for the record. Uh. Oh my god, motherfuckers! Yeah, isn't that crazy? It's it's just the driving USA hopping out the car thing. It's exactly what it is. Do you want? It's bad how much of a better album cover it actually is as well. <laughs> it, it's the corniest thing right. ever, and yet it still works better than what we got. Just 
Just, yeah, weird. Yeah. Like it's like his tribute to Stevie Wonder. No, no. To me, it seems more like a Italian giallo movie poster from like the nineteen seventies. <laughs> you know, well, you well just imagine some leather gloved figure with, with a knife is checked. Oh, Lindsay, look out! There's uh-huh. a there's a madman after us. <laughs> but yeah, let's let's uh, let's go through the songs themselves. We've got sure. the opening track. Um, I've got a whole set of notes for another episode that I'm going to try and not ape here. Uh, but yeah, me too, because I, I need to say Tony and I are going to do a deep dish of this in the 40th anniversary in 2041. <laughs> so set your alarms for the Untitled Bottle Beatles podcast, Untitled Bottles, the Untitled Beatles podcast uh, in 2041 for our 40th anniversary deep dish. Oh. When there's an archive collection with nothing we want to hear. Get that deep dish out of here. Oh, just pizza, pizza, mm-hmm. I mean. Anyway, hey, oh, Chicago. get the fuck out of here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So we start off with Lonely yeah. Road. And just from the opening bass notes, for me, I'm I'm already convinced that this is going to be a completely different kind of McCartney album that I'm already expecting. Like, normally it's like, hey, everybody, my name's Paul McCartney. How are you doing? You know, jazz hands. But this just... <laughs> <laughs> it just goes on and i mean yeah it's weird it's sluggy wow i tried to get it over <laughs> yeah with rusty anderson's doing that kind of grunge guitar entry to it yeah. yeah honestly this is one of my favorite mccartney album openers i'm i love this song it's got probably one of the best last great mccartney vocals on it uh, you know, people were always telling me, oh, Flaming Pies, the last of the great Paul era. You know, we had When Winter Comes on McCartney 3. Oh, we're so nostalgic for the for the 1997 voice. And yet in 2001 here, Paul's going, do I want to walk that lonely road? And it's like, what the fuck is this? It's so cool. It's so heavy. It's so anti-Paul. And it's all of this whilst also being this like very tender uh, lament of I've lost my wife and I don't know what the fuck I'm doing with my life. And I love the contrast there. This is this is sad music, sad lyrics. Paul's not doing the happy, sad contrast thing. He's just doing he's double downing on dour. And I think that's so cool. I know you're going to completely tell me the opposite now. Uh, no, I, I, I'm. I, I'm oh. not. I, it is a. It's a stunning song, more lyrically than musically. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's one of his least inventive melodies. But his catharsis. I'm not saying it sounds like a Plastic Ono <laughs> uh, band album song, but it's. When have you heard Paul be this direct about his mm-hmm. pain? I mean, he hinted at it in you know whether it was for Linda or for Maureen Starkey in um uh, you know on flaming pie but this is bluesy anguish um it's not one of my favorite mccartney openers but it's maybe one of the best songs on the album for what it says and what it represents no question i mean the opening lyric is a bit clunky uh i tried to get over you i tried to find something new but all i could ever do was fill my time with thoughts of you against the that rhyme is a bit lazy, but I feel like he's just forcing us to get to the, the good bit of the song, I guess, where it starts to get a little more chug a and he starts to pick up in pace a little bit more. But 
just like the phrase, like, I hear your music and it's driving me wild. Like, uh, that is so raw. Familiar rhythms in a different style. Yeah. Because he goes from mourning Linda to falling in love with Heather within the course of eight lines of music. Yeah. It, it really is an artistic statement to let you know how to go into this album. Uh, mentally, he's preparing you for the journey he's about to take you on. I never really, even really uh, interpret it as him also singing about Heather here. To me, this is mostly just me getting over Linda, more justifying the future. I feel like he may have written this song in the exact same way, whether he had specifically met a new partner or not. Like, to me, this is almost, That's it's almost like, a bargaining with the fans, like, look, look, guys, I know you all love Linda, but, you know, I've got to get a bit of ass at some point, you know? And and that's what he's doing through a... He's not Donald yeah. Trump. Paul McCartney hasn't talked that vulgar. Look, look uh, I'm just going to grab a bag of... No, 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 no. Fuck him. Oh, um, all, all I'm saying is these scruffs, if you walk up to them, you know? Uh, anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> these apple scruffs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, Trump doing the lyrics to Apple Scrubs is something I never want to hear again. All I'm saying is, Sleepy Joe, he wants you to be on that lonely road, okay? That's what I'm saying. Um, <laughs> Hillary is the Heather Mills of America. <laughs> no! No! <laughs> okay. Marjorie Taylor Greene. <laughs> oh, my, she's so funny. Watching all of that happen from over here with a nice distance is... is uh, how stupid are we? I hope everyone in the UK looks at us. I mean, listen, Brexit doesn't seem so great either. So you guys had your own bullshit. But how stupid like, do you think Americans are now? Because we must look very dumb. No, there was that other blonde woman who was like, she was almost like speaking in tongues at this big rally. She was like, and strike and strike and strike and strike and strike. and Michelle Bachman, yeah. I think, <laughs> yeah. maybe. Because yeah. some... Oh, we got a lot of crazy people. remixed that to the, uh, to the beat of Without Me by Eminem. And it... <laughs> it, it perfectly fits. And strike and strike oh. and strike and strike. It's absolutely phenomenal. Oh. But um, yeah, it's uh, definitely not as good as Lonely Road, though. Uh, for, for, for me, this is easily one of the best tracks on the album. Um, me too. And, and it, an incredible statement. Uh, his voice is one of the greatest performances he ever puts on. Like, he, you know, the, the amount of grief he expresses here. I mean, uh, the amount of just emotion on display has probably not been seen since Ram. And that's not an overstatement. You know, loss of the Beatles, big, big problem. Loss of Linda, big, big problem. And he has to, you know, vent these very uh, deep emotions that he's feeling at this time. And it comes out in song. I always hate saying this, TJ, but... I, I like it when Paul McCartney's having a bad time because it results in the best music. It's like a sacrifice that I have to be consciously willing to make, you know? Well, it's, it's what saves that you mentioned him impassionately kind of screaming. Like, it's almost like Wildlife from the Wildlife album, which is, you know, whether you like it or not, it's an impassioned plea about, you know, animal rights. Oh, the live and version And he gets well. real screamy and emotional in that. Oh, the live version's great. I love the sparse keyboard and drums one quick thing i want to add to this sam is and again i've i love rusty um anderson uh i i abe is such a part of the mccartney sound live for the last 20 some years 
uh, Gabe Dixon's playing keys on this. Um, who didn't he to- Gabe Gabe Dixon is an American piano player who turned down touring with Paul yeah. because he wanted to focus on a solo career. That's why Wix came back. Gabe Dixon had a couple good songs, but I mean to turn down a chance to tour with Paul McCartney is insane. On one song from Flowers in the Dirt as well. Um who oh, is he? If he is, I don't yeah. know. I know Nikki Hopkins is on there. Um folks, uh Gabe. Well, while you're looking to complete this thought, I, I wish the band was better on this. I wish it was the Abe and Rusty from touring with them for a year and a half. I feel like the band is too tentative. I mean, this is one where I wish Paul had players he'd been working with forever yeah. because uh, like, I, I love his voice. I love the bass playing, but no, I'm not a fan of the way the band sounds on this song or this whole album. It sounds what it was guns for hire with a young producer and that's what's called to me i mean it's quite reflective of his personal life at this time almost anyone with a deep-seated connection to linda was seemingly tossed by the wayside and replaced with other people and i feel like paul would not be able to look at robbie mcintosh uh or or hamish stewart without just going, Linda, Linda, and just having this wave of depression wash right. over him. And, you know, some people like, uh, was it was it Eric Stewart? Um, yeah, from 10CC with the yeah, press to play stuff. thought and, that yeah. it, it was Heather trying to get rid of people who were like a threat to her, perhaps. I more likely see it just as Paul being like, I'm not able to handle this I'm, I'm better off just pushing all of this aside and moving forward i i think we're both right because while i agree with you look how successful calling different old friends was for for run devil run yeah i mean those are people he played with all the time but the sound they create especially on the the new songs paul wrote what it is and try not to cry run devil run are some of the greatest rock songs because that was a band of veterans with whom he'd been familiar that he just didn't play with a ton. Um, I wish he'd done that for this because it just, it, to me, it sounds so, t- I'm not going to belabor the point, but everything sounds tentative and paint by numbers to this band wise. And that drives me nuts. And I love those guys now. It's got to be so weird being in a band with Paul though. Like how much input do you put in? How expressive are you? How much do you just do as you are told? Uh, especially the first time you do it as well, you probably want to secure that second contract, as it were. Um, Unless you're Gabe Dixon. Like, I, I, I'm not going to play Madison Square Garden with Paul McCartney. I'm working on my independent album. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so it's going straight to the top, baby. Uh, that household name, Gabe Dixon. Anyway, let's talk about... He's got a couple of great songs. He's, it really uh, does. Till you're gone, five more, five more hours of highway. But come Gabe on, Gabe Dixon on Spotify. Oh, there's the Gabe Dixon band as well. Yeah, he's got this. I'm just gonna play. He goes. Uh... He's got a couple good. Like he's a piano guy. He's got a couple. Ooh. It's almost like Ben Folds light a bit. I like him. But you don't turn down, you know, playing with a Beatle, <laughs> my man. When, when you were talking earlier about how Ben Fold's first album was affected by 9-11, all I could think about was Ben Fold singing to uh, Bin Laden, Give me my money back! Give me my money back, you bitch! No. <laughs> hey, Ben, so you want it on him. 
Well, fuck you oh, too. To take a shake, like S H E I, sheik, sheik, take a sheik. Yeah, maybe. That's all right. Uh, that. That's <laughs> you've developed a. Forgive me. I gotta go take I, a oh. sheik of Arabic. <laughs> I gotta go take a sheik. They say I look like the fucking Shah of Iran. This, this, let me say, this is not meant to be offensive to anyone. We are playing with the word chic. We are not meaning to offend anybody. No. And this has been brought to you by my lawyer. <laughs> anyway, from a lover to a friend. Anyway. Um, yeah, this feels very similar to me for, to something like, um, I don't know, in that it's the opening first three songs kind of ballad that I just don't really care all that much about like the melody is very strong i do find myself singing along to it when it's on and maybe like humming to it to myself later on there is a strength in the melody there but you know just a strong melody doesn't automatically make it a brilliant song and there's something slightly missing from it for me that prevents me from like really thinking that oh this is one of the greats um it's not like another ballad on this album that I absolutely detest, but for me, this is edging close to the idea. Look, everyone hates people saying, oh, Paul wrote this in his sleep. Paul wrote this automatically, blah, 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 blah. This does air towards that to me. It, it, it It's filled with classic McCartney platitudes and tricks of melody and chords. And I don't feel like I'm getting much new here. The only thing that's worth really exploring would be the production and the lyricism. Um, I do really enjoy David Kahn's work. Is it Kane or Kahn? I'll, I'll go with Kahn. I call him Kane, but if you listen to my podcast, you know I get everything wrong. See, I felt like Kahn. But I call him David Kahn's Kane. Kahn's more exotic, but Kane's more like metal. I'm Kane. Yeah. <laughs> David yeah. Kane. <laughs> Detective Kane. Uh, <laughs> call me citizen bitch <laughs> wait a minute don't call him citizen bitch there I mean. was no cane in citizen cane um <laughs> but yeah uh he Khan Kane, he offers something that you don't normally get on a mccartney album for me it most closely resembles the work of like julian mendelssohn on off the ground it's very ethereal very out there very heady very uh, I've took too many edibles kind of sound, like just all these weird little background sounds. I love all the tape loops on this album. Like you get yeah. it on, 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 on the next two songs. He does have a nice uh, tableau to work with, like a bass line for all of his sounds. Uh, Paul's very good at finding that out in people, you know, people who can, you know, give him a sound that he can bounce off of and, make McCartney-esque. Yeah, the production's great. The, the the lyrics, though, confuse me, frankly. I'm confused by this song, TJ. What does it mean? From a lover to a friend? Like, I've read the quote. Paul thought it was, it was like a funny twist on, like, a regular phrase, but I don't know. So so has has Linda gone from a lover to a friend? Has Heather gone from a lover to a friend? Has he gone from a lover to a friend? <laughs> Did, has Ringo gone from a lover to a friend? 
Well, but maybe he's singing about John and Brian Epstein. I don't know. I mean, I'm just, I'm, and their trip to Spain. I'm, I'm merely guessing. Um, and there's nothing Let wrong with me that. Come uh, in. <laughs> right now. Whoa, what are you doing, Paul? Um, uh, here's, may I explain something to you as, a, as an expert in lyrics? I think the answer to your question, my friend Sam, is what we haven't found will not be going down. <laughs> like, what? Yeah, man. Wait, wait, oh, wait. So what I, we haven't found yeah. will not <laughs> will not be going, be going down. So the, okay, so pe- pe- people yeah, write I, on uh, the world in which we live in, in which we live. Yes, this is or this in is, which we're living, which I've heard him argue. Yeah, this is worse than that. You're right. <laughs> say it again. Hang on. My, my my brain is fried right now. Say say it one more time. I don't think this song's in the lyrics. <laughs> and what we haven't found will not be going down, <laughs> which is, I think, a double negative. I'm not a grammar so, expert. So what, what we haven't found, which is what they have found, will not be... So what we have found will be going up. Yeah, well, or that may be going down too. I mean, you know, it, it, it all depends. Well, sinking, um, the lyre is reeling, <laughs> and what we haven't found will not be going down. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, I'm going to very quickly and briefly disagree with you uh, from an opinions. I mean, it's all just oh, opinions. Oh, oh. I hate the production on this. Oh, and a bad choice I, I, for a single as well, just before. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. I, I'm pretty sure they recalled it in favor of freedom in the States. I think this was not issued. And I think they quickly issued uh, freedom as a single in America. Um yeah, I think the production on this, I, I I find it abysmal. I think in Nigel Goodrich's, Godrich or Goodrich, another yeah. producer I don't... Yeah, I, I think in Neil Godrich's hands, this thing is more stripped down, almost in a Rick Rubin-y production. Love Abe, I hates what he does on the ride symbol. I know something interesting's got to happen. Here's my problem. I, I Let me phase, phrase it thusly. The change in time signatures is cool. Mm-hmm. Some of the, the pleading, let me love again, is a little like the opening number, Lonely Road. It's direct. It's morning, Linda. But as a song, this feels, you said, you know, kind of well, the Paul just dreams these songs and records them. This feels woefully unfinished. This feels uh, uh, produced in a way that doesn't suit the song. And the lyric, I mean, it's not just that. What's, you know... Uh, and when the, the opening lyric, when the time comes round, we will be duty bound to tell the truth of what we've seen. I mean, like, I, I don't, I, I love you, Paul. I defend some of the silly love song lyrics, but this one to me is just, I, and you know what's, if I were programming the album, Driving Rain would have followed Lonely Road because you need an upbeat thing. You're right. It's got a little of the Egypt Station thing, but at least Egypt Station comes right back with uh, Come yeah. On To Me. Although Come On To Me should have stopped. See, it's what my my I version agree, of I agree. should have been. But yeah, um, this one. Tony thinks Egypt Station should have start with "Get Started" the uh, from the uh, one of the B sides because it's a, which I love. It's a great opening song for a record. Get started. So, I don't know if I've told you this story. I've, I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but when I was so on the release date of uh, Egypt Station. Uh, I was in a relationship with a, uh, a girl at the time, and I, I I said to her that morning, I'm going to be a good lad. I'm not going to listen to the album on Spotify. I'm going to buy it in HMV, cycle home, put it on vinyl. About 
eight minutes after I'd walked out the front door, <laughs> um, scrolling through Spotify, Egypt Station, there it is, download, eating through data. It's fine. It's Paul McCartney. Don't uh-huh. worry about it. <laughs> right. It's like buying it. And I press play, and my finger must have gone two pixels to the left or to the right because it went on to shuffle. And so what I thought was the opening song was not the opening song. And the opening sound I heard was boom, 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 boom. Ladies and gentlemen, I stand here before you. And it was People Want Peace. And to uh-huh. me, it's the best opening track of the entire album. Ooh. Oh, Ladies and gentlemen, I stand here before you with something to say. That to me is an opening line to an album. People Want Peace. <laughs> it's almost like what if... It was the opening song to what if Ringo had written a Paul McCartney album or or Paul had wrote, an, you know. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's I amazing. You with something you wanted to say. <laughs> yeah. People want peace and more. It's, it, no, no, no more autographs. Um, I'm warning you. Uh, it's funny because it would almost make a callback to Sergeant Pepper. You've somehow connected People Want Peace with Sergeant Pepper. With Paul kind of doing a, a busking opening. <laughs> That's great. Although, the, here's the problem. People Want Peace doesn't end. Oh, it's a long one, isn't it? It's um, No, yeah. there's this midpoint on, like, disc three of Egypt Station that's just such a slog. <laughs> the Explorers are... It's oh, like, oh, come on. Like, do it now. And all of those kind of tracks. It's like, can we just... <sighs> like... Despite repeated warnings, which is on par with give Ireland back to the Irish in terms of political no, statements. And that's not a compliment. It's indicative of the fan base's reluctance to just have an album and an EP and have it be the right length. Yeah. I'd accept it. Make the packaging nice. You know, maybe, you know, you put the EP on the top left, you have a nice booklet in the bottom right or something like that and open it up. You don't need to fill the two discs. It's not because like, and, and then when you get greater uh, te- uh, technological breakthroughs uh, with, with, with albums like Driving, uh, sorry, Flaming Pie, you then have to make them double albums. So in the future, is now Egypt Station going to be a triple album when the next technological oh breakthrough comes through? And it's like one single side is just, I don't know, and come on to me. <laughs> okay, we've got to flip this. Oh, I'm going to flip it a thousand times. God, why, why, why is Frank Sinatra's party parts one and part two? <laughs> no, no, this is an eight track. This is an eight. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair. Good point. Oh, the sun rises in the east. It sets in the west. And every Paul McCartney fan thinks Frank Sinatra's party should have been on the final album. Yes. Like everyone 100%. 100%. Oh, yeah, um, you know what? Let's let's start picking up some speed. I don't want to keep you too long. She, yeah, she's given up it. talking again. I think this one's really well produced. I think this is a really different uh, kind of mysterious off kilter McCartney song. Um, it starts out as one thing. You think it's going to be kind of like a quite a boring campfire McCartney acoustic tune, and then it just cuts into that kind of heavy driving rain sound that I am totally drawn to. It's dour. It's it's borderline like Metallica-esque in how it's like, just there's those big droning resonant notes. This stuff is absolutely enlivening for me because it's, 
stuff Paul doesn't really do, whether it's good or not, if he's doing something different that I haven't heard before, that automatically bumps it up in my rankings. It's not a fair ranking system. It's just how I feel. And I like this dark, atmospheric, imposing Paul. Um, What I don't like about this song is that people don't give it enough shtick for the but when she comes home it's a yappy yap yap yappy yap yap worst lyric in mccartney history uh, one two three four five let's go for a drive gets all the hate on this album no thank it's a yappy yap yap great point uh, is this like is yappy, jackie yap, gleason yap. writing this one <laughs> hey alice you here with <laughs> the yappy yap yap <laughs> bang boom straight to the sea moon there we go <laughs> Hey, there you go. Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, I, I gotta hate this song. And uh, this is one of my least favorite songs in the McCartney catalog. We're three songs into a Paul McCartney album. I understand what you're saying, but it's different. It's heavy. It's weird. The backward, the tape loops, all that stuff. But we're three songs in a McCartney album. You get "Lonely Road" from a lover to a friend. She's giving him talking. If you're a casual McCartney fan, you're like, what? Where where's the hook? You're Paul McCartney. Like none of these songs, maybe from a lover to a friend is a little bit of a hook, but like, like it, they're they're unfinished. Like there's, I feel like there's no. Let me okay. I'm gonna put a pin in this. What to you is the classic? Not your favorite. What's the classic song on Driving Rain? What's the driver? None of these songs included on that Pierre McCartney compilation, by the way. But if you were going to go on like a McCartney retrospective, what's the accepted classic from this record? Riding into Jaipur. And where does that rank? By the way, whatever you're smoking, I got to have <laughs> immediately. Thank you for not saying rinse the raindrops, which is last I checked 27 minutes long. Um so he, here's here's my question. Let's say it is writing to uh, Jaipur. Is that the weakest classic of any of any classic on a McCartney no, album? Like, no, there's no standout on here. Is my the point. Weakest classic. Oh, warm and I, wait, warm. And be, are you calling that the standard of speed of sound? Um, no, just just in that mil, uh, Not if we're doing a one track per album, but just in general, okay. in general classics, uh, or things like um, okay, uh, once upon a long ago. Uh, however absurd, puppy dog tales and the House of Lords. Like, all right, cool, man. No, um, even no more lonely nights. I'm not particularly fond of that one. Uh, I have to uh, accept that most of my fans will disagree with me on that one, uh, especially since it's now the playout song for all of his live shows. It's like, it's like, yeah. oh, you haven't played it live ever, but you'll like, you'll, you'll just go and click play whilst everyone's like walking out and like stepping over the urine to leave your stadium. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> urine from a $16 beer, by the way, which is at least, you know, high priced urine for the, if you're Howard Hughes and, and you're into that stuff, but there, that song, I will tell you quickly, uh, Sam, cause I was 10 when that song came out, that song was ubiquitous. The video was on MTV all the time. Like that was, that wasn't like a, Oh, it's Paul McCartney. We should probably play this. Uh, that was a, Oh, this is a big, big hit. That was huge. I love that song. And David Gilmore playing uh, guitar no, in it. You know what? It's it's one of the ones that the song gets worse for me as it goes on. Like I love the opening verse. Like the opening verse for me feels very much like uh, "Through Our Love." You know, like where yeah, you know, like, you, you know, we 
wasted time and again and then it's just uh, the same kind of um oh uh, what's the look of um What's the what's the other look of No More Lonely Nights? Um, I can I wait can, another yeah, day until yeah, I call I can, you. It's, it, it's that little pause. I can wait another day. It feels that makes it very through yeah. our love esque for me. Um, yeah, um, she's given up talking. An interesting one. I've definitely got stuff that I want to annoy Ken with. On this one, of course, we don't need to dwell. I mean, the only other thing, you know, like a dicky bird has never been yeah. a favorite lyric of mine either. <laughs> Blackbird, bluebird, all that's and your bird can sing. You know, he's been involved with a lot of great bird songs. The dicky bird reference is not one that I'm fond of. Who do you, like a dicky bird? Who do you think the she is? Who do you think's given up talking? Uh, I'm pretty sure I read that Paul said it's a friend of his talking about his daughter, and he kind of used that to inspire the song. I think that's what it is. Again, Untitled Beatles podcast fans, I'm right on rare occasions, but I'm pretty sure it's about a, a friend of his daughter. See, to me, my immediate thought, and I've come up with bullshit theories in the past. I thought My Brave Face was a post-Linda death song. You know, like, you know, another uncut TV dinner. I made for two. I was like, oh, he recorded this after Linda died, but obviously not. Um, she's right. given up talking. To me, sounds like one of his daughters stopped talking after Linda died. To me, that just seems like the tone of the song seems to point towards mm. that. Um, okay. That's pure speculation. But what I do think is significant about the song is that it is part of that uh, McCartney female perspective uh, subgenre that he's been doing throughout his mm. career. You know, Elmer Rigby, Daytime Nighttime Suffering, Another Day. This is definitely girl, girl school. school. Yeah. She's an Oriental <laughs> princess. We, we, we don't use that word anymore, Paul. We don't use that word. Sorry. Paul, stop. <laughs> You can't say frozen Jap anymore, Paul. Yeah. Stop it. Um, <laughs> no, Paul. Uh, people in Fiji don't have front parlors. We can't use that song. It's not. It's not good for global marketing. <laughs> what, what, what? What if it's you know? Paul's done day in the life in concert. Paul's done. Uh, you know, here today is tribute. What if he pulled out the song that shall not be named from sometime in New York City to honor John at his next show? And Paul sings that as his John tribute would be a bad choice. Woman just is made the me laugh. No, 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 no. <laughs> I love how you thought I was going to say it. That's hilarious. I know. I, I just I, you, nowadays you just don't know. <laughs> no, Ringo doing it would be better. Can you even in a reggae no, version? Like, and there's no like soft A or anything like that. Like he drops it and it's like, what <laughs> the fuck, man? Ringo, are you serious? <laughs> I'm from Liverpool. It does, it's not that bad up here. <laughs> I was a sailor first. Woman is a Ringo. No, 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 no. You do not need this sentimental journey. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many things so I want funny. to say. Like, Todd Rundgren on uh, Colin Hay looking at him like, the fuck? Oh, what are you doing? I'm just, I'll definitely cut this joke, but it's like, rather than you can't fight lightning, it's you can't fight. Oh, bingo! <laughs> I said you can't fight. Oh. <laughs> Ringo! Here they come! <laughs> no one's ever even heard this song. Oh my God. Oh. <sighs> 
Um, Driving Rain, yeah, this is an amazing track. I love the song. It's really fun. It's really silly. It's unabashedly uh, fun and uplifting. It's a great palate cleanser for the album thus far, especially for someone like you who may be feeling that things are a bit slow at the moment. Um, I love the lyric, one, two, three, four, five, let's go for a drive. I think it's Paul almost mocking the bad lyricism angle of his uh, perception, though that might just be me projecting onto it. Even if that's not the case, I still think it's a delightfully goofy line. Uh, I love the fact that we get the middle of the road, middle-aged vocal here. He's not doing massive falsetto he's not doing a great amount of shouting or growling it's somewhere in the middle um it's wonderfully light-hearted uh it's you know it's it's in the vein of sort of like all together now it's not meant to be taken yeah. too seriously um it's quite fun what do, what do you think my favorite song on the album. This is one that has made playlists and mixes of mine for many, many years. Wow. This to me, if I were hired by um, uh, uh, Jeff Jones and the people at Calderstone to do a McCartney by the Decades compilation, which I do on my own quite often, this would be the track that represents Driving Rain. It is fun. It's lighthearted. Paul's melodic gifts for the first time on this record mm -hmm. are in full force. I don't mind that the lyrics are silly and ridiculous altogether. Now it's childlike. Why can't this be childlike? It's a celebratory, happy song. People who bash the lyrics of this tune are taking things way too seriously. This song's not, you know, this song's not uh, setting out to be Hey Jude. It's a fun celebratory song. I love the major sevenths in this thing. And may I just say my favorite version of this, the live version from it's on both back in the world and back in the U.S., the live version of this. And I saw him do this live on that following tour at the United Center in Chicago in 02. Um, this is uh, live even better. But yeah, it's my favorite track on the record. I'm so glad to hear you say that because for me, it's such an obvious high point of the album. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've got all the emotional baggage of the song. You know, he and Linda used to get lost together. They'd just go driving together. Uh, the image of driving rain, it's a very evocative one. You can definitely have a certain uh, Rorschach test application to some takeaway, whatever you want from it. But I mean, I mean, I just love the prominence of the line. Let's go back again. You know, uh, he's emphasizing that it's, it's, it's about uh, not the destination, but the time you have together with the person getting there. It's a yeah. wonderful Linda song. Um, it's a nice contrast to, to Lonely Road as well. You've got the, yeah. it's almost like the, the the five stages of grief over an album. You know, you've got anger. Uh, is this bargaining? Is um, And then right. like acceptance would be like your loving flame or something like that. Um, oh, we've got to, after, after this, we've got to follow that through because there's definitely a really bad internet article where we where we do that that there's there's easy cash there yes there is in that pop psych breaking down driving culture rate. uh culture sonar you know they will they will eat that shit up they will they will love yeah. that uh <laughs> note to self thank you there you go very much um there's also some great uh, electric piano work done by Gabe that we uh, mentioned earlier. Uh, and I love that little breakdown at the end. Again, very David Kahn, very David Kane. Um, 
and it doesn't resolve. Uh, the live version comes to an ending and resolves, but this one just kind of hangs on, uh, in music terms, it hangs on the five as it fades out. It never goes back to the tonic to resolve itself, which is really cool. Does it too. resolve itself live by going, da 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 da? Just as you think of it, it goes, well, I, uh, why don't we drive in the driving rain? In the driving <laughs> rain. Uh, uh, it ends like a sitcom thing, which I love. <laughs> Where everybody knows your rain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Niles, I, I I always preferred flaming pie. Fraser, I'm not on the show yet, Fraser. Yeah. Um. Hey, break it. Listen, was Cheers huge in in London and in, in, in um, Europe and my, the UK? Did Cheers transfer my well? Were very familiar with both Taxi and Cheers. Um, Fuck yeah, Fraser to me. So when I used to go to school in the morning, there was one of three programs on on Channel Four in the morning. The middle one was always Friends. Friends had the middle slot. Frasier normally okay. had the latter slot. And then before it, you'd either have Everybody Loves Raymond uh, or Just Shoot Me. Sure. Like, no one remembers Just David Shoot Spade. Me. I love it. I David do. Spade. Um, uh, you had uh, uh, 20 people I recognized by face could not name them. Yeah, um, I'm forgetting. It too. has one of my favorite. Getting old's real fun. It's got one of the best lines in in motion picture history, uh, which is "So what if I've got a room for my berets?" Which as, <laughs> always <laughs> makes me laugh when I think about it. So what if I've got a room for my berets? Um, yeah, I do. Um, this is a song I mostly skipped through in my initial re-listens, uh, though. It is one of those ones that, whilst not considering it, like top 100 material or anything like that it certainly blossomed for me the melody fit for me is very memorable um i just i just catch myself when i'm on my own just just going after a time it's through mm -hmm. and never more bum, 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 bum. it's very chaos and creation in the backyard actually um yes 100%. and that's because it's like the only track on the album that's got classic uh, McCartney orchestrations on it. Um, you know, I would have assumed that this is like George Martin or something doing that, the Abbey Road, Tug of War, Pops of Peace, Flaming Pie, Uncle Albert, uh, you know, bit where he goes, oh, Paul, I'm going to come now and make your brilliant song even bloody more brilliant, you bastard. Um, is, it, is that Sean Connery playing George yeah, Martin in yes, the movie? Paul, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to have sex with you, Paul. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> Brian and John did it. Why can't George and Paul? Look, Martin, not Harrison. Okay. <laughs> Have you ever seen a man's PP7? Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, apparently, this is just David Kahn, David Kane doing quote unquote orchestral samples. It's all synth. Yeah, it's, in, it's all synth. So that just means he's just going boop, boop, boop. That to me, yeah, is completely mind-boggling. It does not sound like that at all. Like when you go back to say "Back to the Egg," you know that a lot of those strings and other instruments of that is just Paul on the Moog, on the Moog, on the synth doing that. 
And, yep. you know, for certain tracks, like say Arrow Through Me, that, that completely works. And it, it, oh, yeah. Great song. It elevates it. I'd say the same applies here. I couldn't tell. Very, very, very much like, you know, I wouldn't be able to tell if Phil Spector wasn't the producer of Let It Be when I was a young kid. When I first listened to this, I would not have known that this was all just uh, synth. It sounds very real to me. Um, it 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 just works perfectly. Uh, you also get a little bit of church bell. You know what? That's why I said uh, Chaos and Creation, because... That's the album with bells on it for me with uh, English English yeah. tea. Dun, 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 dun. And you get a bit of bells on this. Yeah. And that reminded me of that. That's what I was thinking of. Yeah. I, I, I like this song. I mean, this to me sounds almost like an early, you know, almost like woman was John writing an early Beatles song. This sounds like Paul writing an early Beatles song. I feel like this is simple. Um, it's not one of his great ballads, but it's got a hook. It's got two hooks. The and he he changes octaves. Yeah. He starts the if you only knew, and by then it's if you. <laughs> and so he's playing the octaves, and it's a great melody. You sang some of the bridge earlier. That's great too. I mean, yeah. I th- this and uh, driving rain into this. This is probably the high point of the record for me. I don't think the next song is going to carry on that though, based on your comments earlier. Uh, no, our next song is called. Uh, miniature water sphere, uh, <laughs> tiny bubble. Uh, yeah, I felt like this is a song that I should have disliked, that I shouldn't have loved as much as I do, but uh, very much in the way of something like On the Way or Sweetest Little Show, I get, uh, or even um, Bogey Music. This is a silly Paul McCartney fun song. Nothing more, nothing less. I'm not going to get too angry. I'm not going to get too happy about it. It is what it is. It fills a space on the album. Um, And when it's on, I enjoy myself, you know, just going, tiny bubble, boom, 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 a tiny bubble, that to me is all very uh, levity-inducing, shall we say? I, you know, I I get what I want out of it. Uh, I don't think about it too much. I'm not going to be adding it to any playlists or seeking it out individually. But you know, like so many Paul McCartney songs, it's one of the ones when when I put the album on full and you kind of start forgetting about uh, fully faithful track listings and oh, what comes next, and you just kind of in the moment you go, oh, it's this song. Okay, I'll go with a bit of tiny bubble. Oh, sweet. All the world's a tiny bubble floating inside. Yeah, I'll go with that. I agree with that. <laughs> what about you? Uh, my joke about this song, honest to God, since it came out, is this song to me is always the one. It's one of the only songs in the McCartney catalog that I think should be a sound check song on Tripping the Live, Fantastic, or Paula's Live. <laughs> I feel like I, this song to me feels like. Oh, this is this is together. This is maybe inner city, you know. This is hotel in Benendorm. I feel like this song is not worthy of placement on a Paul McCartney record. And by the way, it also goes it, two things. It goes on for like four and a half minutes. And I mean, this is it, one that not like a hey, breezy, hey Jude. No, four no, and a half minutes. It's, it's like a, it's like, it, oh, you 
do, 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 still do this. We're strapping in. And I, I think he's vaguely ripping off or paying tribute to Piggies. I feel like the chorus of the song feels like it's lifted a bit from his dear bandmate, his little brother, George's uh, Piggies. You know what? Uh, in the episode now, we're going to play both those clips back to back now. Oh, my gosh. How crazy was that? Obviously, we listened to that in real time. We've obviously not just edited edit wow. these together at all. Um, the lyrics of this song are also quite interesting. I, I I like the image of all the world's a tiny bubble floating inside. Like I just like working out the etymology of that, like how Paul got to that specific phrasing. Was he in the bath looking at little bubbles and thinking, well, you know, it's like a little world like floating inside of there and all of that. Um, <laughs> you know, what, what was he at a Mardi Gras and all the bubbles were floating and then did he look at a fisheye camera lens for too long? <laughs> You know, it, it 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 it's one of those classic McCartney lyrics that can either mean absolutely nothing, or it can be the most insightful, impactful lyric that you've ever heard in your entire life. Um, I you know I do like. Um, you can't imagine what I've been going through. I wouldn't wish it on a soul, much less on you. That's a good line. That's a bit chaos and crazy. Maybe he's talking about Heather early. No. Who knows? I kind of like it because it's the most hilariously clunky thing on the album. You can't imagine what I've been going through. I wouldn't wish it on a soul, comma, much less on you. Like it's it's weirdly stilted. And it's one yeah. of those because again. Paul's done weirdly stilted lyrics in both good and bad songs. This is definitely in the good half of them. It's just it's just mm. definitely not how I'd imagine Greg Kirsten or Mark Ronson would have written that line. Uh, it's definitely right. very Paul. Um, it is a bit too Jefferson Airplane 60s-ish when he goes, all the world's a tiny ball floating inside the truth. Like, oh, oh uh-huh. Oh. <laughs> with a nice break in there yeah. that growly guitar is one of the instrumental highlights of the album no questions asked um i've got to give a shout out to the hammond organ as well uh, gabe i think is gabe playing that or is paul playing that's that 100 yeah that's right um, I, I love all the little in the background, you know, just just Paul vamping. I can see him there with one hand over his earphone in the studio, just going Ooh, like that, loving all of it. Yeah, it's, I, it, it's, it's fun. funny how one song can impact two Paul fans so differently. Because I'm annoyed at the top with the wow, wow, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh that, that's great. Ooh, ooh. Drives me a little nuts. Uh, don't be home, don't be home tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, hey, Paul Giroux, why don't you cool it? Uh, next up, we have a song that is quite simply magic. Sorry, that one wrote itself. Um, Did it, though? This is one where I'm very well aware of the fact that I'm not going to make any attempt to make an emotional connection with this one. This one feels like one for Paul. You know how like Martin Scorsese will be like, I'll do a, a schlocky gangster movie for Warner Brothers, and then I'm going to make a movie about a Mongolian boy who likes to knit 
uh, uh, socks. And that's the one for him. This is the Mongolian sock knitting song for Paul. This is this, this, the original title. Yeah. <laughs> Scrambled eggs. Oh, I loved all of your Mongolian knitted socks. Um, this one to me is a prime example of a track that would gladly exist as a bonus track on a future archive edition. It is one that exists to be cut for a hypothetical single disc uh, vinyl of Driving Rain. It's 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 a honey pie. It's uh, a wild honey pie. It's a don't pass me by. It's it's fine, you know. Um, there's there's really nothing here that that uh, grabs me, um, you know, for, for a song that's supposed to be about the lovely Linda herself in the wake of her death. Uh, I was kind of expecting something a little bit more, and this just feels a little bit phoned in, almost like they were about to release the album. It's like, oh, Paul, uh, the data shows you need 77% songs about Linda dying, and you've only got 76% songs. Oh, all right, I'll just, it must have been magic, you know. It's it, it's it's very whatever, and I've never said that on yeah. this podcast before. That's a very lazy review. Wow, it's whatever. Okay, yeah, I, I I agree with you, and you know, thinking about it in terms of the sadness he was feeling, it's very sad, somber, dreary, minor key based, and while it doesn't do it for me. To your point, is a catharsis or a feeling song for Paul? Great. I'm not going to begrudge him for it, but this is one. This man has written the best, uh, uh, dozens of the best ballads ever written, and this one, to me, doesn't come anywhere close to that. But the thing about Paul is he has so many ballads, like I'm in love with Only Love Remains is a favorite mm -hmm. Paul song of mine, and 70% of McCartney fans will tell you, wow, I, I, I've never liked that. So <laughs> McCartney ballads appeal to so many people, and there's so many of them. I don't mean to besmirch this. If uh, you, dear listener, make an emotional connection with the song, I just feel like the song is, it's a bit pedestrian, it's a bit maudlin, it's a bit minor key for me. But if it was cathartic for Paul, God bless, he's certainly, he's earned that right. It reminded me a lot of... Um... I owe it all to you from off the ground. You know that, you know, sure. Oh, da, 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 da. It reminds me of, of, of that uh, ancient temples and all, all that. Yeah. Eternal gardens. Yeah, it, it, it feels exactly, yeah. It's very much in that realm house. Uh, yeah. Um, I'd like to like this song more. Uh, it, I, I just don't. I'm really sorry, everyone. I'll probably go into a bit more detail on another episode. Uh, then we have Your Way, which to me is one of the highlights of the album. Yes, we're in agreement here. I will save my spiel and just tell you I, this is one yeah, of my favorites. It's, it's, it, it, it's fucking amazing. To me, it is What If Bip Bop Was Finished. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> It's great. And uh, it's got an incredible melody. It's completely immediately catchy. Uh, Paul's voice is divine on it. Um, it's it's probably the best uh, Linda lament song in terms of its phrasing. You know, Paul was never one. Like if, like, if you go back through all the Paul McCartney love songs to Linda, all the expressions he gives towards her are very plain 
She's my long-haired lady. It's not, she's the most effervescent being of the most incandescent light of one's soul. It's just, she gave me, she gave me my love her way. I love how simple that is. Um, you don't even need this to be about Linda. You know, a million people could listen to this song and it's about their mom, their dad, their grand, their lover, their kid. Yeah. Whatever you want. You gave me your love, your way. Um, you know, some of you listeners out there give me your love just by downloading. Some of you give me your love by giving me money. And obviously you love me more your way. Uh, <laughs> give me my money back. Give me my money back, you bitch. No. Opening piano riff to money. That's what I want. Go. I <laughs> was the wrong key. It's turned the wrong key. I'm, I'm is, off my game. Folks, I didn't plan to play this too much is a piano. Jam podcast now. Tony plays music. I sing off key. That's how we get four hours of content. That's a month's worth of podcasts. We're done. There you go. Oh my god. No. Um. So. Um, yeah, I, I'm with you. I love this song too. It feels Carl Perkins influenced, yo, and yet to me, it's yeah. it's it's better. It's better than Get It from Tug of War. <laughs> like uh, this. This to me is one of his best uh, countrified songs he ever wrote. And the lyrics are great and the playing is sweet. The band feels produced correctly. Yes to this. I'm just saying, if you're an Australian listener, when we say countrified, we mean country. Country music. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no comment. Well, hey, you'd be proper countrified, you eh? Uh, also, Your Way features the most uh, unique lyric in on the album for me. Uh, I've seen it shining from the furthest stars, like Venus, saw it on the way to Mars. The way to Mars. It feels like a beautiful callback. Paul is Mars, Linda is Venus. I don't know what book I read that in, but I know there's a quote somewhere where Paul said he is Mars and Linda is Venus. The kiss of Venus. Yes. You've got this song in the middle. There is a... Uh, there is a, a space opera, quite literally, between Paul and Linda going on. Um, the, the fact that he referred to her as Venus after her death, you know, it's it's up there with like Calico Skies for me in terms of. Yes, yeah. Sam, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I mean, think about it. Uh, you saying that just reminded me the the MPL McCartney Productions logo is a Venus and Mars dancing around each mm -hmm. other, dancing around the moon before it settles in with that kind of. Uh, you know, uh, uh, bells that almost, what can it, like, not vibes, xylophone, kind of, I can't think of the instrument that the MPL music is. Um, but you know what yeah. I'm talking about. It's it's lovely, and you're right, Venus and Mars. I mean, it it, it feels, especially given what a massive hit that record was, it, this feels like a nice kind of completion of, of an era of Paul's life. Well put. I can just imagine Denny Lane being like, and Pluto as well, you know. <laughs> Venus and Mars, but you got Pluto's always there picking up the back end, writing the blue songs. Uh, Denny, just sing Go Now and <laughs> Shut Up. <laughs> Denny, um, if you've had to wait six years to perform um, No Words, maybe yeah. rehearse a bit beforehand yeah maybe insist on an orchestral uh, backing so it's not just 
You wanna prank your prank a prank, blah 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 blah. Sorry, folks, I hate the concert for Campuchia. It ruined the song that ends every episode of this podcast. Um, you know what's nice though is they did. Uh, I've had enough live at the concert <laughs> yeah. for Campuchia, which is so great. Yeah. It's, it's just like Lawrence Juba going. It's a reference to the fact that we were in the music video. I'm like no one cares. <laughs> funny oh, at least they did good night tonight live um because i mean as yeah. we know the modern touring band could never perform that one properly oh no wait they fucking kill that song think how great what if paul did a medley of good night tonight into arrow through me or or re- reversing no, it i mean my ultimate he, medley is another day into yeah. mrs vanderbilt oh so like so oh no she so goes and he does both already oh, oh no so he goes Oh, dancer, I leave the next day. They would go into it like that. That's yeah, cool. It's it's got a very similar BPM. That's the only reason it works. Uh, for, for folks out there who aren't DJs, just go onto bpmfinder.com and you'll realize how all DJing basically works. And and don't don't go to bmfinder.com. It's a different website. Uh, uh, BBM as well. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, All right. Yeah, BBW. There we go. <laughs> BBW.com. Um, spinning on an axis. Um, yeah. This is another straight up win. It's uncomplicated. It's basically, um, I want you, she's so heavy, but for Paul, before he would do that again with uh, Rinse the Raindrops later on the album. Um, this mm-hmm. is... You're going to see from this point onwards in the album a lot of repeated ideas, and that's why I think Driving Rain so yes, yes you are. We're going to see, uh, you know, you know uh, jam songs, songs that change tempo and octaves halfway through for no reason again and again on this album. Songs that are too long, um, you know. This is what I call a red pen album. You know, when a teacher's upset with your classwork, she puts away the green pen and takes out the red mm. pen. You haven't failed. I'm not saying it's a failure, but see me after class. A, you know, um, a song like this and look, yeah. a song like so, so many songs on this album, if you don't like that initial... Spinning on an axis, wow, wow. If you don't like that, you're uh-huh. fucked from this point onwards because you're going to hear it for the... Raise his yeah. hand. Raise his hand. Okay, what's wrong with this one, dude? Come on. I think the melody's atrocious. <laughs> I think he's trying to rap. I well, feel like this is Paul. Paul. I'm here to say. That's, I'm the rapping this dude in deep. Liverpool, A. Hey. <laughs> Break it down. A's for my Canadian friends. Um, Yo, my name is Paul. I'm here to say, put that record on and hit press to play. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) And and for no reason, move over buskers what's queued up. Move over, Martha, my dear. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Ooh, sweet mashup. Snoop Yeah, Yeah, there we go. (laughs) uh, So here's what I don't like about this song. The melody. The lyrics, the delivery of the <laughs> lyrics, the production, the length. If 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 Tiny Bubble is Hotel in Benendorm, this is welcome to soundcheck. <laughs> with the chirping and the can't take it. only that's I think at thirty seconds. This is a this is five and a half minutes. Yeah, this is one of my least favorite Paul McCartney songs ever. 
I don't know. For me, <laughs> just being honest. Sometimes I like it when Paul gets blood from a stone, and that's definitely what he's doing here. Um, I also think the lyrics are quite poignant. I like world spinning round to the next revolution. You can't not think of the Beatles when you hear a lyric like that. But then you can also think, is it the next political revolution, technological revolution, uh, drug revolution? You know, Paul has lived himself through many revolutions. And, you know, it also points towards the ever forward moving nature of time. You know, time's always moving on and progressing. He's got kids, he's got a new wife, he's lost a wife. He's entering old age, leaving middle age. It would make sense that Paul's singing about time in this way. But then... Because it's Paul McCartney, the sun's going to rise up again right at the end. So it's all still nice and don't worry about it, guys. You know, you might be going over the trenches, but the machine gun bullets are a quick death. Woohoo! <laughs> you know, that's that's our, that's yeah. our Paul. Um, and there's also some great uh, silly guitar effects on this song as well. Um, about you, uh, it's filler. It, that's all I've got to say. It's... Yeah, total filler. Me too. We don't need to get into this. this it's is quite, like. all side two the goddamn filler's mine (laughs) yeah that's it's a great song it's not no it's not the girl is mine oh i love it i I think i love it because i lived it ebony and ivory should be in in, in terms of fan hatred (laughs) oh i thought you meant in terms of quality see this is where two paul diehards can differ Yeah. Although I will agree, spies like us rules, so we can we, we can hold hands on that on that point. We can definitely. I'm not pro spies oh, not. like us. I'm pro video with spies like us. I feel like that song is the beginning of like Capital got that song because he signed yeah. after being with Columbia from seventy nine eighty four. Capital he he never left Parlophone. He was still in, in EMI and all over the world, but. When he delivered that to Capital as his first track back, Capital was like, oh, God. Oh, please, Paul. And then he followed that up with Press to Play, and Capital was like, what are we no, doing? It'd be like, you know, hiring Arnie, Arnold Schwarzenegger for your studio post Terminator 2 and then getting twins. It's like, ah, what? Let's get, let's get. Yeah, what's going on? I mean, I kind of like it, but it's kind of awful. Um, and I feel like if we're going to talk about you, we can get into Heather pretty quickly, too, because they both feel like filler. And Heather is such filler. You think it's instrumental for two and a half minutes, and then he starts singing these fairly meaningless lyrics. And it's like, oh, I, th- well, I feel like you are going to differ on Heather. It's your show. Take the floor. Just, folks, I'm quite lightheaded right now. I'm, I'm in shock. I'm aghast. I'm agog. Um, oh, Okay. <laughs> we'll be right as back. As far as I'm concerned, this track, along with Riding Into Jaipur, make up the heart of this album, especially the Heather Mills Whoa. period. Um, That's why I hate it. See, to me, this is instantly memorable with uh, an inexplicably catchy, strong melody. Uh, there's there's just such a jubilance here. The notes he plays in this song, the chords, the sequence, the changes, the shifts all together convey such an incredibly strong emotion, the emotion of love. This song to me captures the feeling of being young and in love at that time. And the fact that this song was just Paul stream of consciousness vamping at the piano when Heather comes in and goes, Oh, what Beatles song is that? Blah, blah, blah. 
to me, that makes all the more sense. You know, this is one of those mellifluous, uh, right place, right time kind of tracks. I love the lyrics at the end. Um, check in, at, uh, check in outer space. That's a great little line. That's a Lennon-esque line already. I love that. Uh, I love the. I mean, the melody to me is is is, is unapproachable. It's a pretty piano I line. Think, yeah, I think it's, it's pretty. beautiful. I really do. I do have a soft spot for both McCartney instrumentals and semi-instrumentals, though people have seen me get quite intense over tracks like Jazz Street, Squid, Uela Soleil. And then you've got the semi-instrumentals like Peacocks or Hey Hey. Love them all. Think they're top 10% of the movie. Hey, hey, so funny. That's a TV no, but theme. I'm, yo, actually, that's a good one, actually. Um, I'm also big into uh, my uh, tug of peace as well. Uh, I love me some, some uh, tug of peace. Just that, you know, just the people like walking and just hearing their kids going, oh, you know, <laughs> uh, yeah, Heather for me. Oh, funny! It's an iconic, uh, classic, modern. Well, look, would the best era to call this court to be to call it mid-modern, or or is it, sure? Or, or is mean, this yeah, early I... modern Paul? Would you say like Flaming Pie is the start of early modern Paul? Eighties uh, early to up to say off the grounds mid. Mid-era. Here's what's so hard to say because, it like that because he keeps coming up with greatness. He keeps releasing new stuff that that is the modern era. That is, is part the of the modern canon. Is longer than the past two eras combined. Like the modern era of Paul would technically be longer than Beatles, Wings, and eighties put together. By now, you know what I mean. I- Sam, I do it as decades yeah. when I make like my version of Pierre McCartney yeah. and I try to sample like I've made McCartney box sets since I was burning CDs in <laughs> since my mind. Before and you I were look at it as man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but back back when I had cassette tapes, um, all Ringo's new work on cassette. Here's the way I do it. Like if you think in terms of CDs, I give the 70s two CDs and every other decade gets one CD. So the seven I basically go 70 to set uh to 75. Yeah. Um, and then I go 75. So it's basically when I do playlists, it's McCartney. Disc one is McCartney through Venus and Mars. Disc two is a speed of sound through McCartney two. So I end in 1980 and then I go, uh, the eighties are one disc from tug of war on the nineties are one disc. The two thousands are one disc. The tens are one disc. And now we get the twenties. So I think he's so prolific. You can't, say what eras are anymore you got to just go by decade because he, he won't stop and it's a gift to humanity it's a legit gift to humanity oh, dude i can't wait and i mean this sounds morbid but of, of, of course one day paul will pass and they will release a terrible i don't think so a terrible compilation album in the wake of that i cannot wait to review that with you when that happens because it's going to be terrible it's going to be so by the numbers and by the book and uh th- hastily thrown together i can't wait to see such a poorly put together mccartney product in the future it, it better be um it better be cold cuts uh, uh based or yeah. some an expansion of cold cuts because there no, is so dude, much it's material just mccartney again i'm sorry that's that's oh, what it's going to no. be 
just God, why did you pick Wine Dark Open Sea, <laughs> folks? <laughs> did did you like throw darts at the off the ground cover and whichever? Oh, no, okay. is that see, come on, people? No, you it's, know how like when people would like ask Bill Gates how much is like a, a carton of milk to judge whether you're normal. Hey, walk right. up to Paul McCartney and say, "Do the kids these days say Wine Dark?" <laughs> <laughs> hey. Hey, yo, man! Help me. <laughs> yo, man! This is all. This is so wine dark. <laughs> I, 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 sir, are you interested in, in a glass of wine? Would you like white wine? No, I'll take wine dark. I think it's called red wine, friend. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. Uh, th- so this, I, this song to me, there are I, everything you're saying, Sam. I respect and I agree with, but there's sixteen thousand other Paul McCartney songs that satisfy the emotion you described. Not the least of which is maybe I'm amazed. Also, a piano yeah. song. Like I'm gonna listen to that. 10 times out of 10 instead of instead of Heather. Uh, Plus, Heather McCartney, she accused him. I, listen, I always believe women. Honest to God, my default is believing women. I do not believe Paul McCartney tried to attack Heather Mills with her own leg. <laughs> I don't believe it. I'm sorry. I no, don't. I don't. But She's not. I, I want to see the shot of him with one of her legs going, how's about this for three legs? <laughs> but you can't run <laughs> when you walk. When you walk. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, you're you're uh, my short-haired lady. <laughs> um, I realise we're running quite uh, a, uh, over here. Uh, I'm gonna. Have- it's okay. We 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 can wrap up. I'm okay. I can push a little okay, further. Okay, we'll do quick summaries of the next couple. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going to have a sure. quick urination. You can have a quick two-minute break as well if you want. Sounds great. I'll check my emails. Perfect. Okay. Take your time. Time to piss my urine. Yeah, man. Piss it.
I'm back. I'm back. All right. Back from taking a, a PISS. Um, oh, I also smoked a quick bowl as well, so don't judge me. Uh, <laughs> no, good for you. I, I took an edible about uh, two hours ago, so I'm... Uh, Edibles fuck me I'm up. Good. I'd be, um, oh. I, I've heard that a lot of people have that feeling. No, um, I've never fallen for the, oh, it's not taking any effect. I'll have another one. I've, I've had people around me to go, easy there, big guy. Easy, <laughs> cool it, bro. No, uh, we, 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 whenever yeah, I hear edibles, I always just think of Joey Diaz, the uh, the uh, comedian, going, "Oh, I took a torsion fucking milligram fucking edible, you cocksucker, motherfucker!" <laughs> I haven't heard that. Kick that funny. shit, boy. Yeah, um, he's one of the Joe Roganites, I believe. Oh, uh, okay, okay. Yeah, I I used to smoke a fair amount of pot, and then when the pandemic started, I just I freaked out, so I switched to edibles, and they haven't looked back. I just I don't smoke anymore. I just, I think hey, having a kid and stuff, I just, I, I didn't want to come. I was coming in like stinking sometimes. And I was like, ah, I don't no, want to. Um, it doesn't help with my uh, agoraphobia. So, okay. Uh, if I'm, so I'm going to go to London uh, next month to go see Mark Lewison. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I'll be doing an episode on that. Uh, of course. Hell yeah. We'll tune into that for uh, sure. Let us know when that airs. We'll, we'll, we'll plug that for sure. That's a big deal. So let us know. I think I'm going to literally be the only person in the country that's going to be able to see it. Um, oh, no. Um, nothing is real. will probably be there as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's I can't great. wait to go talk to them and con- con- congratulate them on having a successful podcast when you have a studio produce a massive advertising campaign that costs thousands of pounds. Well done for uh-huh. building it from the grassroots up. Yeah, Congrats. yeah. No. Good, good, good for them. Whatever, whatever works. I start, look, I became a billionaire with a small $1 million loan from my father. <laughs> Fucking guy. I, 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 uh. I've had to stop talking politics in our show because uh, it upset a few people, but I don't want them listening anyway. Okay, let's wrap yeah. up this album. We have three, four more songs. Let's. I got about 15, 20 minutes yeah. we can Back do Back in it. the sunshine again. Uh, this is certainly where the album started to flag for me now. The, the last song was a little reprieve from the filler. But, um, yeah, this is not ranking highly for me amongst the pantheon of McCartney's sun-based songs. Um, yeah. Uh, the, the the issue for me with this song is that it's basically just Rinse the Raindrops done worse earlier on in the album. Not that much earlier on, which is problematic too. Two, two songs. So you get yeah. this repetition far too close together and it makes me think going back to back to the egg again of something like winter rose love awake and after the ball million miles where it just invites comparison and whilst rinse the raindrops ain't exactly in anyone's top 20 it's it's better than this and it does what this does better and you know let's just have a look at the top the 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 run time quickly on this one it's done uh, it's over four minutes. It's 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 another one he wrote with James that doesn't end. Four minutes, twenty one seconds. Yeah, that's, come on, that's absolutely ridiculous. Um, I mean, it's like what if Paul did a heavier, more dour version of the yacht rock sound that he was doing on Flaming Pie, <laughs> and it's done incredibly, badly. which I loved. 
Thank you, Jeff Lynn. Yes. Uh, Jeff, yes, man. Yes, Lynn is what his name should be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. He, I mean, he listened to George on Brainwashed after he told, uh, George told him, right, you know, before George died, George said, you know, be, be, don't make it, you know, one of your overproduced <laughs> records. And, you know, Jeff Lynn opened with any road and left in George saying, give me plenty of that guitar. And that's how the album kicks off. So Jeff Lynn honored the fuck out of George and Brainwash, which, as you've heard our podcast, you know, this, I think, is George Harrison's second or third best album. I can't get enough. That record makes me cry and laugh and everything. It's an emotional roller coaster record for me. Brainwashed. Anyway, back to back in the sunshine again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You know what poor Tony's going to deal with. Uh, all, uh, Tony loves um, Rinse the Raindrops. I, want, I did want to say uh, Tony's a big fan of that. Back in the Sunshine again to me is mediocre filler that goes on too long. Those are my only thoughts. No, like I have something what I call note disparity anxiety, whereby when I write notes on an album, I can't have one review be five pages long for one song and one review be six lines. I kind of have to make sure they're all at least an A4 each and then work from there. Um, okay. You know, in, in in the same way that, you know, once you watch Toy Story, you feel guilty about throwing away toys because you think that they're alive. Uh, you know, I right. think that these song reviews care whether they're all the same length or not. Uh, it's definitely part of my uh, wonderful OCD there. Um, yeah, I kind of feel the same way about you there. It's definitely not one that I'm going to be coming back to anytime soon it's it's uh not a complete write-off i do like the middle eighth and uh bridge bit where it goes a bit more uh dramatic and he starts pulling out those old mccartney heartstrings but that's about it uh your loving flame uh the worst ballad on the album by quite a way uh again just make me think of things like however absurd was but long ago no more lonely nights these 80s ballads everything's quite standard and familiar and been there done that it's got all the worst elements of from a lover to a friend none of the best elements um it's not adventurous it's a straight ballad that goes on too long that does have a hook but it's not good i think it's one of the lousiest paul ballads and again i think it's because this is about heather and mm. i think the whole heather mills era fucking sucked there's only one bit where the melody works where it's like and nothing feels the same inside your loving flame like and it and it has that it actually rolls perfectly but for all the other verses everything feels like slightly like out of sync and uh discordant i guess would be the best way to put it like it doesn't feel fully formed um no, especially not the what am I to do bit that just stays on that same that same chord for what feels like 16 oh, bars man. right before. Dude, that, that whole yeah. middle eight, you know, again, one, two, three, four, five, let's go for a drive. That's the one that shat on, but not all of the, the you know, rhyming you and blue and all the timings off and it's all weird. Like for me, that's one of the worst lyrical points on the album. But um, yeah. It, it look it's it's still paul i don't hate the song the way i hate like f fill in the blank song i don't like it's still paul mccartney i love to hear his voice you know uh, but but this is in the catalog of paul mccartney songs give me through our love give me distractions give me footprint i mean 
I, I, I prefer Motorola Love to this. <laughs> oh, you Motorola Love. Uh, you know what? I'm going to go listen to that after after this. After after we're done. Yeah, that's my, that's my homework. I've always loved that. There's a light in my dreams. Thanks to you. It's like it's, it's interesting. This feels. I used this word earlier. I think to describe for love to a friend. This feels maudlin. I like my Paul ballads to grab my heart. Mm. This one doesn't do that. No, uh, what this reminds me of most of all is, you know, when you go and listen to Beautiful Night from the uh, 1986 sessions with Phil Ramone. The Phil Ramone, yeah, I love that version. Oh, no, see, to me, this feels like that, where it feels like there's something, a je ne sais quoi missing. Or like or, or okay. when you listen to Don't Let Me Down before Billy Preston joined the sessions. You know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Right? And then once he goes... And then they all look at each other like, uh, yeah. <laughs> that watching them all wowed by him is one of the great moments in Beatle history. At, it's at so least lovely. Jackson didn't forget to you know include him in the rooftop sequence. Oh wait, he's he's in it less than the Lindsay I, Hogg version. I don't know how he did it. Tony and I've talked about this a ton, <laughs> and Tony's theory. Tony blames Michael Lindsay Hogg. Not Peter Jackson. Tony doesn't think there was a camera trained on uh, Boss right. Todd. Oh, I love your episode, by the way, where you two are like meeting at the cinema and you're both doing like separate. Yeah, we went. We saw it together. Recordings and like you're meeting each other. I love the narrative. I was, I was like, are they going to meet each other? Is, it, is something going to go wrong? You know, <laughs> who, what, when? Thank you. Gonna, yeah, that, that was a, a very fun episode. Um, sadly, I did, I, I did get Thank to you. see the, uh, the rooftop concert in uh in IMAX or anything like that. But I've got Disney Plus, so suck it. Uh I can just watch it whenever yeah. I want. There's something called fast forward. Um uh actually did uh, did you get the the uh, the the DVD or the or the Blu-ray just quickly? I'm one of the few people who bought the, I haven't watched it yet, but I did buy the Blu-ray because uh, TJ Shanoff must collect all the yeah. records and I just, I'm going to burn it. So I've got uh, copies of the Blu-ray on my hard drive uh, because I don't trust streaming when, what, what's that? Could. Oh my uh, God, of course I'll give it to you. Allegedly. I don't mind allegedly. stuff. The, the, the Beatles, as my, for as much shit as I bought since roughly 1980, I can, I'll fucking give anything to anybody. They have all my money. Come on now. <laughs> Beatles and Monos, $400 on eBay. Email me, <laughs> dummies. No, I'm, kidding. I'm, I'm not that egregious, but for good friends, yes. Because for us, it is homework. But you know what I'm saying? Like something like Tony just wants to stream it. Um, which I get, but I'm also enough of a fatalist to believe that Russia's coming for us and the cloud's going to get knocked down and no one's going to have access to anything. Yeah. And I want to know, I don't need to rely on streaming to watch Get Back. If I'm in my last days of America, I just want to watch episode two in the cafeteria. If if the satellites do go down, dude, I will meet you at the Empire State Building on the 3rd of December, 2030. I will be there. Yeah, I'll be there. Cool. Awesome. Uh, I've always said that though. When, when like people say, "Sam, why do you collect vinyl?" and I always give the same answer. I, I always say, "I'm afraid of nuclear holocaust. I am afraid. Oh, yeah, I'm afraid of all the electricity going out." At, but if you, if I can learn to crank at thirty three and a third, like you know, like <laughs> like like a little right. organ grinding monkey with Giuseppe uh, on the promenade, that'd yeah. be cute. You 
you, you have like a little like a pencil mustache. Hey, you got a piece of fake learn pie, to cra- eh? <laughs> hey, if there's a one thing I want to hear, it's the it's the outtakes, the demos. I got to hear the early version of Younger Boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Um, Funny riding into Jaipur for me. I'm not over exaggerating here. It's an all time top twenty for me. I think this is literally one wow. of the most uh, divine the most uh, pure and luminous McCartney songs he's ever written. Like Heather, it's a song that perfectly encapsulates the feeling of love, particularly new love, young love. Um, you know, Heather Mills talks about McCartney literally dancing in the street in this period. And, you know, the, the song reflects that kind of boyish, giddy joy when you've just fallen in love. Um you know, it just evokes those emotions in me. Uh, the simple lyricism reflects that as well. Just, I'm riding to Jaipur, riding through the night, riding with my baby. Oh, what a delight. My baby. And, yeah. you know, you don't have to be Freud to work out what Paul's priorities are in this song. It's just being in the moment, being with Heather, being happy at this time. And it's one of the, 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 the parts of the McCartney story that makes me look upon this period more favourably, I guess. Uh, I try not to judge people in love. You know, it's, it, it's their mistakes or not to make or not. And... You know, I do. I do feel sorry for Paul, and we've all we've all been on the rebound at one point or another in our lives. And I try to look at the Heather Mills period with as much decorum as possible. Um, yeah, but there's a problem. She no, sucked. I still come to the same conclusion as all of you, but yeah. I just get to feel better than all of you and morally superior. That's the entire point of it. Oh, yeah. fair. Okay, in, in that yeah. case, fine. <laughs> You're morally superior. I'm the misogynist. No, look. No, Welcome. I tried to go into it going, you know, I'm sure there's two sides to this story. And then it's like, nah, she was like shacked up with an arms dealer. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, she'd left two husbands before, like a uh, prospective partner. Sam, and- di- didn't it? Didn't it drive you nuts? Now you were you were younger at the time. You were a kid. A- a- when they were together, I was in my mid early to mid twenties. And I remember being so fucking annoyed. Can I swear in this? I've been swearing too much. Hope it's okay that you, I'm swearing. You can draw a C bomb at some point if if, if we if swear quite a bit. A C bomb. No, we've had C moon too many times on this one. I I need I need more. I need more than just C moon. You know that more more Billy Joel coming up. Um, but yeah, I I remember being offended. When she bragged about not being a Beatles fan. Oh, the Beatles didn't mean much to me. So I hear Beatles songs for the first time. She has all these interviews saying, I wasn't a Paul fan. I wasn't a Beatles fan. And my litmus test is I think almost all of Paul's kids just hated her. I think they were not fans of her either. I don't think it was because it wasn't Linda. I think it was because they saw that she had uh, a flashing grifter sign uh, above her head. <laughs> no, uh, you can, I always picture her flipping a dime, like in a zoot suit, leaning against a street lamp, like, hey, what, what are you saying? What are you knowing, <laughs> right. kid? You know? Um, <laughs> I got the horse right here. That's what she's doing. Yeah. Um, oh, oh. So we don't need to talk. Oh. Yeah, go on. So she walks past the piano one day, Paul's vamping, 
She says, mm-hmm. what Beatles song is that? And that spawns Heather. That's a nice little story, but am I being over presumptuous by saying not the brightest spark in the old uh, in the old toolbox there? I mean, come on. It's no. uh, the Beatles are so I mean, especially for a woman of her age as well, would be so culturally uh just involved in every minutia of your life and you, and you walk past Paul just go doing and you're thinking oh yeah that's hey Jude or something like that like yeah what it's presumptuous yeah it's 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 ridiculous I mean god bless her maybe she's a wonderful woman but if, from all accounts and all the interviews I read at the time and being you know and uh, paying a lot of attention to that marriage I always thought she was dour. She always seemed a little mean spirit. I know she went through a very serious life mm-hmm. tragedy. I certainly, I, I feel badly for her. I feel empathy for her. But the way she comported herself, I was not a fan of. That said, this song, uh, written in Goa, um, I, I've never really thought of the Heather implications of this song. I love the melody. And this is one, whether right or wrong, I connect to Paul writing you know, uh, Paul said that on Chaos and Creation, um, oh my goodness, what was the song that he felt like George helped him write in his in his uh, dreams? Um, I'm confusing it with Wilco's You Never Know. Uh, Chaos and Creation, what is the song? I'm so... Uh, it's... Um, hold on, I'm actually going to look it up. I'm going to go to the Chaos and Creation track list here. But I feel like this song was also written subconsciously. Uh, um, uh, yes, Friends to oh, Go. Okay. Friends to Go was the one that he felt like George came to him. I'm sorry. I, I'm so into Driving Rain. I spaced on this album <laughs> song that I love. But I feel like. Hide. Yeah, that's a great song. Yeah. No, I thought I didn't know. He, he said that was George inspired. I feel like this song, as George is dying helped inspire Paul to write his most overtly Indian song. And I connect oh, with George. I'm, glad, other, I'm glad you brought being, I like because, it. Uh, when we talked about this one, especially the music video, there were lots of accusations of, you know, Paul kind of aping off the George aesthetic and the George sound. And yeah, the sitar opening. Yeah. All that, the drone. Yeah. I believe, uh, what's it called? It is... Uh, the tempura, it's a very sitar-sounding yeah. like instrument. Rusty's playing it, which is even cooler. Rusty's there going ding, yeah. ding, 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 ding. Would love to have some uh, footage of that, you know, like in the way that we, we, we had the behind-the-scenes documentaries for like uh, Off the Ground and Flowers in the Dirt and Flaming Pie. I'd love to see some Rusty just playing yeah. that. That'd be absolutely fantastic. I wonder if you know they documented this because they documented no, everything because else. Because probably going to be in the back, the, the, the back of every shot, and they've just got to scrap it for posterity's sake. Now it's, yeah. But I love Paul creating this this image of him and Heather on an elephant's back at night, or you know something that's equally as opulent and extravagant. And it, you know, it creates these very vivid snapshot images in your mind. Uh, I, I love how the yeah. the song is is in itself a mantra as well. Very limited lyrics again that fits the Indian theme. Um, you know, fortunately, this one didn't have an Indian sound to it. Just to have the aesthetic for the 
you know, the sleeve and the video, whatever. I feel like 2001 is enough time for, for Paul McCartney to do a bit of doing, 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 doing. It's enough time. Um, you know, it's definitely not copying. Uh, although, you know, Paul did copy certain elements of Get Back off a, off a Georgia at one point, but that's a little bit of different trivia. Uh, well, if, if if you look at this the way I do, which is Paul paying tribute to George, knowing his dear friend and little, quote unquote, little brother didn't have much time left on this earth. I, I look at it as a tribute, not an ape. Yeah, like it, it, it could totally originally have just been written as an acoustic song in, in India at the time. And then as other things are happening around Paul's life and he's made aware of things and how long certain people might have left and that kind of thing, he definitely would have chosen to have lent into an Indian sound a hundred percent. It could not be in his, be in his mind. Um, I, you know, I don't think you have to be someone of the prestige of Lewison to make that claim. Um, yeah. Then onto the final song proper, the one that's the final track on the album artwork, we have rinse the raindrop and, um, yeah, uh, the go-to joke with this song is there's a lot to say about it, which is fitting because it's so long. Um, yeah. We know Paul has a tendency, shall we say, to uh, be a little bit self-indulgent with his closing tracks. You know, they might be a little bit long, yeah. a little bit winding, a little bit roady. And mm-hmm. here we have a gargantuan 10 minutes and six seconds. And... I feel like I must have turned the album off or fallen asleep or passed out or something because I didn't remember this being that long. I remembered it being about three minutes long. And then I, I, and then I went yeah. back to it. And then it came back and, and it was like, bow, 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 bow. I was like, we're still going. How long is it? 10 minutes, six seconds. It's pretty crazy. There's about five or six different segments all together. But unlike something like, say, Uncle Albert, Admiral Halsey, um, where every single segment is different and the song moves along and there's an excitement and a mystery and a progression, here it's just, imagine if every verse was, we're so sorry, Uncle Albert. And then the next verse is, we're so sorry, Uncle Albert. Next to the next verse, we're so sorry, Uncle Albert, mm-hmm. over and over again. See how that's immediate, even just the concept, folks, is immediately boring and uninteresting. That's what I'm trying to get across here. Uh, the yes. opening two minutes, 46 seconds, cut it there. Yeah, it's in, exciting. It's cut a it into freedom, leave, done, done. Yeah. That's what I have to say. Or go back to Lonely Road or find some way to kind of tie it back to the beginning of the record, like 1985 into, into the band on the run reprise. I mean, Ooh. what drives me nuts if about this and a oh, go on, go on. for a while, actually. So that that would have been nice. Yeah. yeah. You know, D- David Kane slash Khan edited this down from a much, much longer jam. Already? But this song oh has Yes, and that, that's why some of the pieces don't fit. That was intentional. It was, it was a little bit of just trying to kind of edit with an element of surprise in there. But this, to me, feels like if you've seen or heard bootlegs of his sound checks, I mentioned, you know, the ones that are on the official live albums, but this feels like a, like a sound check jam that's not particularly interesting 
with a band who's been playing together, I don't know when this was recorded in the process, maybe for a week and a half. Like, it's not like the interplay is of these music. Like, it's fine. It doesn't suck. But in the McCartney canon, the entirety of this tune to me is definitively pointless. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and especially at the length. And then to come back out of this with, unless you have more to say on this, to come out of this with, with Freedom, which is not the same version as the one that's used in the concert yeah. for New York, um, helps date this album. Now, wh- where are you as someone who was young during 9-11 and as someone who isn't an American where are you with freedom, both as a song and in the context of the Beatles kind of protesty songs? People are going to think I'm trying to be ironic or comedic or disingenuous here. But as someone who, um, you know, whose testicles hadn't even descended when the September 11th mm. attacks. See a doctor. You were 20. <laughs> I was 43 years old. Um, happened. Um, someone who is not American. Someone who has only heard about the horrors of America through, you know, media and the news and that kind of thing. I, I didn't really, I wasn't cognizant through that period. I wasn't a mature individual watching the news and political satire and that kind of thing. So, Rather like this whole podcast where I have a distance, you know, I don't care about the dustbin line in uh, from uh, the, uh, the second song on Bob's Peace, which is... Acting like a dustbin yeah, lid. Um, the other me. Uh, I don't care about Ebony and Ivory, that kind of thing. All in that same kind of vein. I've got no, you know, direct association to draw upon with freedom. When I first heard it, I thought it was a bit basic. Heard it again. Notice my shoulders kind of, kind of just bopping a little, a little bit. By the fifth or sixth, you know, run through. Freedom! I'm singing along. I'm talking about freedom. And, you know, now, it's, I think it's been a long enough time for me just to enjoy this song for what it is outside of all the horrendous context. And, you know, it, it feels like the best version of one of those Bishop's Gate uh, songs he does, you know, um, that, 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 that he did for the Flaming Pie um, live video feed, those songs he does for Lipper every year that he kind of just makes up and right. jams on the spot. Meat Free Monday. This is the best version of Meat Free Monday or No Meat Mondays. Yeah, man. Um, you know, I like the song. Do I like the fact that it's a Paul McCartney song? Maybe not, but just him doing this feels quite enlivening and quite fun and exciting. I'm like, oh, this is Paul doing something a little bit different. I know there's all the all the jokes, you know, give war a chance and all of that. People didn't particularly like this song. Uh, you know, it's got a lot of Bushisms in it and associated with it. Yeah, uh, I'm very well aware of all. A of right that. given by God is an interesting line in a McCartney oh, song. But I think that makes it really quite powerful. It's it. You know, this, this is the modern give Ireland back to the Irish. You know, it's meant to rile to like rile you up a little bit, uh, yeah. at least in intentions. You know, you, you know what I'm saying. Um, 
Yeah, I, I, I get quite caught up in freedom in the same way I get caught up with American exceptionalism when I watch Independence Day and Bill Pullman's going, right. this is our Independence Day. I'm like, yeah, you fuck up them aliens, America, you know, or the way I can uh-huh. get caught up watching The Patriot and you know, gleefully revel in Mel Gibson murdering my countrymen, you know, it's... Uh, Wow, it's, it's it's you know there's a certain uniqueness to Americana where it's quite marketable compared to uh, patriotism. Like you, imagine trying to sell French patriotism. You know, it's, it's probably because we're English speaking countries that that's a a giant part of it. But um, you know, the world wept for America. It was one of the most universal. Yeah. You know. Um, it was almost it, it was it was like an act of war, but through the the lens of a natural disaster in the way that everyone was sympathetic towards oh, it. Yeah. Though you know you, you didn't have like Germany be like, oh, actually, the American imperialism of the East means that they brought this apart. No one did that, and I think this song captures that uh, non-questioning, non-judgmental, middle of the road. Uh, party line, this is how the world feels about America right now feeling. And it captures that as a time capsule, probably better than any other song from 2001, I'd say. Other than that Five for Fighting song. I don't even know what fucking song that is. Well, um, did Marilyn Manson do Fight Song that, that year? Uh, quick. What else was 01? I, I can't remember. Um as an American and as an American who was not a fan of the Bush presidency and as an American who believed the Supreme Court stole the election from uh, Al Gore and handed it directly to uh, George Bush and as an American who was not in favor of the war, I was frustrated that Paul was taking the – he gave some interview where he was like, I know a lot of people who don't like George Bush, but today every he's everyone's president. Like he was kind of towing the – right-wing party line, which also pissed mm-hmm. me off about him in that Heather Mills era. But the one thing I would say is I respect the hell out of the song, the live version from that concert for New York City where Clap he kind of prompts Clapton into playing those solos. That's not this version. Um, I give Paul a ton of credit for writing this song. I think people who dog this song are are cold-hearted, but I also don't like this is not like a favorite McCartney it's song. The modern of Ebony I and think Ivory. He had you just described Ebony and Ivory yeah, in the fan base. Uh, the, the difference being Ebony and Ivory is boosted by the fact that he's with another all-time legend as well. Like having Stevie Wonder sing that with him gives that song nothing's worse than solo Ebony and Ivory, which is Ivory and Ivory. Uh, when Paul sings it by himself, Eric, is, or with Hamish Stewart. Yes, that's know, true. A... That's a good point. But he he did it on the tour. He did it at the Super Bowl the following January. He did it on the Driving USA tour that I saw. I don't hate the song. I give the song a lot of credit and respect. But no, I do not love freedom. It, I mean, I like freedom as a concept. I wish the right wing wasn't trying to take it away from everybody. So yes, I love freedom. I don't love the song. Freedom. The only way freedom's going to have cultural relevancy again is in there's going to be a big. Uh, Hurt Locker-esque movie in the future. It's going to be about the war in Iraq and the war on terror. And they're going to play freedom, ironically, over footage of American atrocities 
in the Middle East, like you know, you know, Iraq is being gunned down by a fifty cow from a Humvee. I'm talking about freedom, and it's going to be a, you know a really ironic. Paul's dead. Ironic Paul's dead freedom at this point, by the way. You know, they, he would not sign off on this, but you know, oh no, but, uh, you know, Mary and Stella, they're like, yeah, it's fine, it's fine, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. Don't protect their dad's legacy so much. This will not be used no, ironically. Which of the daughters said that, um, joked that the moment Paul dies, everything from the vault's coming out. One of them joked about that. Oh, uh, funny. Yeah, no, yeah, it actually quite is. Maybe Stella. Stella's pretty funny. Stella's interviewed him. I think, did Stella interview him for this album? What's the album no, where Stella, Stella sat down with him? interviews him for Wingspan, doesn't she? Yes, yeah, that's why I confused because right one year before, yes, the for Stella interview for Wingspan, it's great. The bonus footage of that on the DVD is pretty. There's like an extra half hour or so of the oh, interview. That's cool. I'll have to check that out. I think I've seen that. Stella was recently in a car advert. Um, I don't know if it was broadcast in the US, but when I went to see the third Jurassic World movie, I sat with my friend. Oh no, you were the one, and. Uh, that movie's made over a billion dollars already, and it's the biggest piece of shit I've ever seen in my entire life. I know, life. I know, I know. Um, I mean, and I, I'm a, I'm a dinosaur guy. You know, before Paul, it was dinosaurs. I'm just into a different kind of dinosaur okay. now. Um, uh, <laughs> come on, sixty-five, yeah, sixty-four years in the making. Um, but uh, yeah, the advert came and went. That's Stella McCartney, Paul McCartney's daughter. And my friend just went, stop talking about the Beatles. <laughs> like, <laughs> was, yeah, good luck. Like, oh, come on, man. She's there. She's there. It's her. Your, your buddy sounds like my wife. <laughs> when uh, she said, you hear everybody talk about the possible revolvery issue. Um, so, yeah, here's the thing. I, uh, I don't hate driving rain. It is absolutely on the lower third of my Paul McCartney <laughs> albums. It is either my least favorite or second to least favorite. And again, I'm not including like rushes or, yeah. you know, uh, the hope for the future. EP. I mean, to, of yeah. like the mainstream, <laughs> right. Of the mainstream catalog albums. I, I take thrilling to over driving rain, but yeah, man, to each their own. The beauty of Paul McCartney is whether it's you or Tony or someone in their teens discovering Paul now, Driving Rain's their favorite album, and more power to you, because everyone's got their own favorite Paul album. No judgment. Uh, all I want to say right now is, speaking of lower thirds, I've got a lower third for you right here. But anyway, oh, hey! oh, oh, yeah, now that that's out of the way. Um, for me, after listening to this album, I've been pleasantly surprised. There was always... Uh, a temptation for me to like this album regardless of quality or not because I knew going in that it was a disliked album. Uh, you know, I've been... Uh, the the only negative album I've never championed disproportionately has been Wings at the Speed of Sound, but, you know, Wildlife, Red Rose Speedway, McCartney 2, Pipes of Peace, Press to Play, uh, Off the Ground. I've always championed these albums because I love a good underdog and... Uh, I always sure. like to see things that other people might not. And uh, I I was going to do that with this album, but I didn't need to. I, I really do enjoy it as a whole. Uh, it's just not very cohesive. Like I will just do it as an album and enjoy it as all of those songs in that particular order, in that particular way and presentation. 
but that's not how I would have put out the album. It's not how I would have done that. The uh, track listing. It's not the length I would have had. It's just an experience that I think is really cool. I'm I'm glad to have a very different, dark Paul McCartney album. Uh, and I'm just glad that it that it exists in the way it does. I feel like he would never do an album like this again. It's cool to have it be a part of the official catalogue. It's not a rushes or something like that. This this is official Paul McCartney stuff. It doesn't matter if he never acknowledges it again. It's a part of the official history. It needs to be acknowledged and and appreciated and absorbed and listened to and discussed just as much as Ram or Band on the Run. And I just want to say I've, I've had a great time talking about it with you today, dude. This has been really fun. Thank you, Sam. And uh, as I say goodbye to you, uh, can we both agree that we replace your loving flame with Vanilla Sky when we get to reissue this album? Um, Love Vanilla Sky. Great melody. I don't like the lyrics. There is a chef with a menu. And uh, yeah, don't look at it. But he doesn't sing about a dicky bird or a yappy, yappy, yap. Yep, 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 um, yeah, folks, look, this was an official song by song review. This, this was just a conversation I wanted to have with a friend of mine who I knew would have a lot to say about this album. And I'm so glad I did this. I'm so glad I reached out to you and that you responded immediately. I was very excited at the prospect of this. Uh, and yeah, it's been everything I wanted and more. Thank you so much, TJ. We're fans of yours too, Sam. I know Tony wants to come on too, so Ooh, tell find him to an respond album that to Tony a hates. fucking email every once in a oh, while. Oh, gauntlet throw. Oh my God. Busy man. Um, I will. And we'll have you when we do Twitch and Shout again. On Stays Through Guts, when we do Twitch and Shout again on Twitch, I promise you we're going to reach out to you to come on, even if we have to tape it because it's too late, but... If you don't, you're going to get a taste of a lower third. That's all. Oh, <laughs> That's God. all I'm saying. For, for me, it's like a lower ten percent at this point. I don't get to. I don't, I don't get to say that to Kit at all. I'll tell you that for free. <laughs> no, don't say that to Kit. <laughs> oh my gosh, Sam! Uh, right. I I love Kiddo Tools as a writing and Beetle fan. I'm a big fan of hers. Um, okay, I gotta run. I'm, I gotta no. get Folks, out of these clothes and go pick my son up. I will do a, a, a separate closing outro. Uh, we're ending this recording now. Lots of love, bro. Peace and love. No more to go. Hey, great seeing you. Peace, peace and love. No more Just Go fuck yourself. Great to see you, Sam. I'll talk to you soon. Bye, brother.
Feeling that man